Greetings, GM Chris, GM Dave, and GM Phil. This is Revan's dad. Well, my wife and I are having a baby in August, whom we are naming Revan. We also have a rocker underneath an art print of Revan, as well as the novel. This means I can hold Revan and read Revan to Revan underneath a picture of Revan. So I never listen to the Order 66 podcast because, well, I'm too busy preparing for the incoming Revanception. This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you by the generous donations of Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, B. Witzel, Andy Bethel, Darren Hampton, Trevor Hill, and William Sullivan, as well as lots of viewers and listeners like you. Broadcast live, you're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and Wayne Basta, author of the Aristia series of novels. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and for those tuning in for the first time, you are in for a treat, because this is the Order 66 podcast, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing. And I'm joined tonight, sans GM Dave, who is traveling, but gratefully, thankfully, with the man of the hour, the man with the plan, the man who makes me warm down to the tippies of my toes, to the hair on my head, every time I hear his dulcet tones, GM Phil. Hello, homie. Hello, sir. And yes, that's right, Gamer Nation. I don't go to Chinatown. I don't pick up weirdos, and I ain't afraid of no ghosts. There you go. <laughs> post show, post show discussion. Oh yes. <laughs> oh, but we are. Um, although we're Sans GM Dave, we are joined by two other wonderful people. Um, we are proud to have on the show. One of whom is actually going to be uh, really breaking in his Order sixty six chops tonight, and that would be um, direct from the wilds of Minnesota, Mama. <laughs> FFG Zone, Tim Huckleberry. Huck, how you doing, sir? Good, good. Uh, very happy to be here. Thanks uh, for having me on. Of course. We're glad you gave your time. And we obviously got you on to talk about our main topic tonight. We're going to be digging into Savage Spirits pretty heavy. But we didn't want to leave you high and dry, especially since this was your first time on the show. So we had to bring in a familiar voice and one, quite frankly, that it's been far too long since we've had on the awesomeness that is Jason Marker. How you doing, Jason? Hello, nerds. How's it going? <laughs> I take offense to that. <laughs> I don't. I wear it with pride. <laughs> I thought you were doing a Jason Manzukas with uh, "What's up, nerds?" Yeah, that's our word. That's our <laughs> word. Okay, you don't use that word. That's our word. Um, <laughs> Thanks for having me on, fellas. Yeah, I'm glad you're here, sir. Thank you. Um, <laughs> we have a as these these book review shows tend to get pretty lengthy. So if it's okay with you guys, I would like to dive right into some announcements, get them out of the way because we do have some exciting stuff to review in our announcement section. Sound good? Let's do it. Sure. Do it. Hello there. What have we here? 
good news. Announcements! Announcements! Announcements. Phil, do we have a featured podcast this week? We do, and all hail Sigmar, baby! Yeah. And if you don't know what I just said, then you're missing out on the glory of the Warhammer 40k role-playing, and you need to tune yourself in to the Grimdark podcast. They recently released episode 69, Fear Itself, their latest Black Crusade episode. They take a look at the advanced horde system from Tome of Blood, discuss the Night Lord's Chaos Space Marine, and talk about putting fear in your campaign. It's a great episode as, as usual. And you can find this and many more great podcasts at www.d20radio.com. Word. Uh, quick FFG news. So since our last show dropped, um, actually one day after our last show dropped, which is kind of right. annoying because I mean this article's been out there for a while. Uh, <laughs> um, FFG dropped the new article about Forged in Battle, of course, the AOR source book for soldiers that details the campaign types and specializations that we are going to see in the book. Um, which is the heavy, which we all assumed and hoped, and we all know it and yeah. love it. Um, it's the heavy, but there were two new ones, Phil. Right? The yes. The, the good old Vanguard and the Trailblazer. Uh, they detail the Vanguard as an initiative heavy athlete of the front lines, and the Trailblazers are experts in guerrilla warfare and planetary terrain. Dude. Solid stuff. They also gave us a little teaser on what their signature abilities are. Yeah? Uh, the bigger they are, it allows a character to spend destiny points in order to ignore the armor or soak of a target for three rounds, whether that target is a creature, vehicle, or starship. Nice. But also, yeah, nice. That's gonna and be then awesome. its counterpart, unmatched courage, buys you time on the you need to take that target down. With unmatched courage, you could spend destiny points to ignore the effects of all of your critical injuries for two rounds. Enough turn, uh, enough time to turn an entire battle around. Um, guys, those sound awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, very uh, cool. la- lastly, the article also talked about uh, campaign hooks, seeds, and ideas that will be available for soldiers, uh, mentioning the city fight scenario, among others. Um, it is absolutely cool stuff. I cannot wait for this to come out. Um, you can find that article right now at fantasyflightgames.com. Bradshaw can't wait for this to come out because he's playing a soldier in my home game, and he's just chomping at the bit. Um, another, but another friend who's also named Tim uh, is is chomping at the bit for this book as well. So, yeah, I think we all, I think almost everybody has a character out there who's like, or player out there who's like, want the book, want the book. <laughs> oh, and Swift draws in chat saying Sigmar and forty k heresy. It it's not just forty k. They do it's it's all kind. It's lots of Warhammer stuff. <laughs> it is. It's lots. <laughs> um, uh, it's a good cast, and dude, uh, Huck, you've actually been on that cast twice. I was I gonna say, I, I, you know, you you gave the All Hail Sigmar, and I was like, ah, but yeah, they do actually talk a lot about Warhammer as well, and uh, and just about everything uh, sort of GW miniatures related, uh, yeah. from computer, computer games to tabletop to role play. So yeah, it's a great podcast. Yeah, I really like it. Um, very very good show. Um, also announced from FFG, uh, the Corellian Conflict, which is what the first Armada campaign expansion. Yeah, I saw this and I got really excited because they specifically mentioned the three sets that I've got for this game. (laughs) Uh, Wage strategic battles for key hyperlane routes, seize vital shipyards, establish new bases, and decide the fate of the Corellian Sector. 
working as teams, you take sides in the Galactic Empire or Rebel Alliance, then meet your foes in battle for control of vital worlds. New campaign rules guarantee that your battles have long-term consequences, and the experience you gain from your victories will provide invaluable toward the success of your overall campaign. Guys, this is reading like the campaign track for, Imper- for Imperial Assault, except with capital ships. <laughs> I can't wait. I am psyched for this. Everything's better with cap ships. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yes, typically. Yeah, t- yes, yeah, it just is. Another um, thing I like is that they mentioned this expansion is for two to six players. What? A, yeah, two to six players. That's so I'm really curious how they how they work additional players in. I'm I'm really excited. It looks like you like can grab key worlds and you can by having worlds you are able to fix ships or or upgrade ships in in between scenarios. Um, I'm I'm really excited for this. Its expected release date is sometime in quarter four, uh, and I'll be keeping my eye out for it. Dude, that's awesome. Well, these are these are these are great announcements, and you guys can of course find them at www.fantasyflightgames.com. And while you're perusing the internet, you should of course check in with the only gaming blog endorsed professionally by Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes, d20radio.com. The best fan writers who continue to bring you the best gaming articles, stats, and news out there. Highlights from this week. Um, first off, we got another excellent entry uh, from our editor in chief and unabashed X-wing junkie. Uh, Wayne Basta, um, in his ongoing Rogue Squadron series. This time in this series, like he, he details different squads, you could you know squadrons you can play in X Wing. Um, mm-hmm. This was a really thrilling um, uh, Imperial squad that you can run centered on three Tie defenders. Um, with yeah, dude, with details and variant options galore. I'm like, I read the article. I'm like, I have to get this on the table now. Um, very <laughs> love the tie defender, dude. Dude, uh, very very great article. Good job, Wayne. And I, I do have to say, my my jollies for the week were given to me by the wonderful Thad Knup, who gave us a great article. I really wish every GM, regardless of system or game out there, would read. It's called "Being the Underdog," and it's just this awesome little essay for both players and GMs on playing with and presenting properly threats that are way out of your character's league. And when done right, how that can create an amazing gaming memory. It's a really good article. Great stuff, Thad. Um, you guys can find them and oh so much more daily over at www.d20radio.com. And while you're there, you'll find a couple buttons on the right-hand side of the page. One takes you to our forums at d20radio.com forums, where you can become a part of our forum community. And the other shameless plug eminent is to our Patreon, which you can also access if you go to patreon.com d20radio. If you guys like the content this podcast produces, if you like the D20 Radio blog, you want to help us keep the servers humming, the lights on, and most importantly, continue to keep our blog authors paid for the work they write, give us a couple bucks a month. We'd really appreciate it. And stay in the know, of course, by following us on social medias. Uh, D20 Radio obviously has its own Facebook group that is hopping, popping, and always full of good news. And, of course, the Order 66 podcast itself has a dedicated page where, of course, we post show info and announcements regularly. You can also follow us on Twitter at D20 Radio. Well, now, guys, I think it's time to check in and stop down for about a good minute with SWRPG Adventures and the most informative 140 characters or less on the Internet. With SWRPG Adventures, Adventure of the Week. Wow. 
Welcome to Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures on Twitter this week. There's a new Imperial propaganda tool, Droid Hunter. Millions are nose down in their data pads, collecting robotic friends that don't exist. This has been Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures. For more adventure ideas in 140 characters or less, be sure to follow SWRPG Adventures on Twitter. And remember, keep adventuring! <laughs> Solid, man. Solid. <laughs> I, I love the mid-Atlantic, old-timey news... News reporter voice. Yes, it's very, it's very nice. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, I love this Twitter account. The, the, uh, it, he's he's so creative, but yeah, I'm I'm loving the Pokemon Go jibe. Fantastic. I love Pokemon Go, uh, dude. Phil, you've been <laughs> you've been going off the rails with it, haven't you? Uh, it, it well by off the rails, you mean like you know wearing out shoes? I mean, you were saying in chat, you you walked how much in the past two weeks? I, ever since installing it during the last show, because I, I like loaded it up in post show, I've walked fifty kilometers. Dude, nice. Yeah, I, my Those daughter aren't gonna my hatch da- themselves. Damn it! Exactly. My daughter plays it while she's riding in the back of the car. Sure. You know, and uh, the Detroit Zoo is full of Pikachu's. <laughs> Our office here. I just caught my second one of those today. Nice. <laughs> All I have are freaking Pidgeys. Mm. Hey, man, you can't get down on Pidgeys. <laughs> They're good XP. They're good XP. They're good XP. Yeah. How's, the, how's, the, uh, how's the office at FFG, Huck? I was going to say, we've got a uh, prime spot at our office and then across the parking lot, I guess. The Asmodee office are both big locations, so, uh, which is great for traffic at the, uh, the game center here in the restaurant. Uh, but, yeah, the first day, I guess, what did it, it hit? Did it hit like over the weekend? Is that when it came out? It came out on a Thursday. Thursday, okay. So the next morning, there were people out front, and it looked like they were just like trying to take pictures, like through <laughs> the windows here. And we're wondering, God, what are we? I mean, it's the kitchen. There's nothing really exciting in there that they could be trying to take pictures of. And it's like, oh no, it's this is what's going on. But, yes, uh, it's been insane. At, at the um, at the rehearsal space, my band uses. If you stand in the spot where we rehearse in the building. I can get three poker stops from that. Oh. So, like in between songs, I'm like fighting my bandmates for poker stops. That's fantastic. <clears throat> I love it. Okay, well, I want to talk about something that does not involve Pokemon. Are you sure? Um, although it does, it involve, does involve, it, have you read it, book? I say, it, I say it, but it does involve little critters that you can be friends with. Exactly. Uh, so, if it's okay with you guys, I'd like to jump into the meat of this program if we can. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so, Phil, what, 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 what shall we dub this? Um, uh, An interview with savages. How fitting. <laughs> and not like Fred Savage. <laughs> or Randy Macho Man Savage. Dude, oh, dude we should Both t- of those guys are pretty cool. We should, we should totally have Fred Savage and Macho Man. Well, we can't have Macho Man yeah. now. No. But, but, you know, maybe Fred Savage and, like, a medium channeling Macho Man, like, yes. on the show. Well, that would be awesome. Oh, yeah. Maybe we can convince Fred Savage to channel Macho Man Randy Savage. 
Dude, that would be savage. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, the Order 66 podcast is proud to welcome, uh, as we said, a new voice to the show, um, RPG producer at FFG, Mr. Tim Huckleberry. Um, although this is his first time on the podcast, uh, Tim, as we said, you're no stranger to D20 Radio, man. You've you've been on the Grimdark podcast twice already, um, talking Dark Heresy. Yep. Um, so we can actually officially call you D20 Radio's own Tim Huckleberry at this point. <laughs> um, and as the lead developer for the recently released Savage Spirits Force and Destiny Sourcebook, we are eager to get your insight on the title. But as we said, you're not alone. Uh, we are ganged up on tonight, uh, Phil and I. And uh, again, uh, Jason, we're very proud to welcome you back to the show. Uh, very familiar voice. Thank you. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. I'm um, stoked. Dude, it's been well over a year since you've uh, graced us with your dulcet tones. It has. What was the last book I was on for? Uh, Stay on Target, episode 46. That's right. That's so, right. My favorite that's, book. Dude. Yeah, that's a while. So that was a while. It was a, quite a while. Um, so welcome back, sir. Um, now, having having both contributed to Savage Spirits, we've got a top-notch team, Gamer Nation, ready to dive into this newly released book. And to that end, we have plumbed the depths of the interwebs and solicited questions. From you! Yes, from you and from us about this book. We got some really good ones. So sit back, relax, as two hosts and two guests step all over each other in what is sure to be a very hilarious and informative fashion. Because we are digging into savage spirits tonight. We will seek our way to the answers, leave no stone unturned, no creature unexamined. Prepare to get lost in the savage wild tonight. Or, or unpetted. Oh, oh, or unpetted. Get petted. Get petted tonight on the Order 66 podcast. You need like podcast. a Tarzan yell at this point. I'm going to pat all these creatures. <laughs> okay, well, before we dig into this book, okay, uh, there are some who call you Tim. Um, and Tim, obviously, you are a new voice to the show and is a first-timer. We do like to really just spend a couple minutes for our listeners to get to know you and kind of just who the heck you are. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe you can tell us a little about your gaming history. I mean, I know you've been with FFG since 2011. I mean, you additionally did work on Dark Heresy and some other games in the 40K line. Um, but you've also worked to contributed to, to the Star Wars line as well. Um, and I'm proud of FFG. You were a freelancer for a while, yeah? Yeah, I actually started off uh, freelancing... Back when I was with Games Workshop, um, one of the many jobs I had was um, I was brand manager for Black Library, the fiction line, for a while. Wow. And um, I think it was we Black Library just put out a army book for 40k, or armory book, uh, like all of, you know the various weapons. And it was basically just here's all the rules for all the weapons. And I was over visiting in the studio and talking with somebody over there and talking about it must have been Mark Gaston because he was with Black Library running that it's like you know this is really cool but what about like you know what sounds do bolt guns make when they fire and what's all the, the cool background stuff for all the weapons <laughs> and you know let's do a book like that and it's like well fancy you mentioned that because we're thinking of doing a role play game how'd you like to write the armory section so uh, when people ask you how do you get in the industry it's all about timing and who you know that's all there is that's for sure <laughs> so um yeah i wrote the armory section for the original dark heresy um uh, no, not all of it. Oh, a good chunk of it. Um, and that's sort of how I got started. I worked on several of the books there uh, while I was with GW. And then when Dark Heresy went to Fantasy, Fantasy Flight Games, uh, continued freelancing there um, for pretty much all the lines, I think. And then uh, after a while, went on to just join Fantasy Flight Games. Very cool. Very, very cool. Um. Well, the other, I guess, big question we have, 
I mean, Phil, do you want to do you want to do the honors because this is this is pretty important. Oh sure, um, yeah, it's possibly the most important question that comes out of these shows. Oh, hold on, uh, Let me get my concentration going. Okay. Okay. You ready? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. All right. Uh, what is your favorite flavor of pie? Mm. Key lime. Really? That's a bold choice. That's a, that's, <laughs> that's, that's that's unexpected. That's that's I wasn't expecting that. Oh, it's it's a fave. It's a fave. Dude, I, I was not expecting. Okay, fair. Well, fair. I, I got to say though, the the generally the favorite pie we have here. So we do a thing called peer review, where basically when when you think you're done with a book, you sort of turn to all the producers and say, okay, rip it to shreds, mm-hmm. and everybody dives in and it's peer review, and it's like, oh, geez, you know that piece of art's kind of cool, but what if you moved over to this page instead? Or no, I'm not really sure. I'm I'm not sure I'm liking these words here. What if you rewrote it like this? But as a reward for doing all that, the producer generally gets goodies for everybody else for doing taking time out of their jobs to help you out sure. to find errors. And uh, I know Max has always been favored for bringing him pie. Um, <laughs> so pie, peer review pie is always a favorite. That's kind of a flavor in and of itself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's always good. Very nice. Very, very nice. Okay, well, let's try not to get pie on this book um, uh, as as we we dig into it. Um, let's let's start with some, I guess some general questions and production and, and overall design. Um, give me give me the hard sell, boys. Um, I mean, if 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 you if you're a fan listening to this show and you haven't purchased Savage Spirits, um, in a nutshell, what's it about? If you, if you had to explain to a gamer why they should buy this book, what would you say is in it? Me? Uh, and actually, I'd love to hear Jason's thoughts. Actually, I'd love to hear Jason's thoughts before I dive in, if you don't mind. When I really? pitched to you, what did you think about the book? What, what did you, you think was going to be cool about it? So it was like 30 years ago when you pitched it to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, it's... Um, oh, man. It's... This is a book about exploration. It's Jedi Explorers and trailblazers and pioneers and that's i mean that's why i like it I, I, just to piggyback on that actually the bit you wrote at the beginning of the book uh, i thought really nailed that too did i write the intro to this book you did yeah <laughs> i know it's always like oh yeah you wrote all the armory stuff no you wrote the you wrote the intro as well oh oh i totally forgot it's like i said <laughs> in a while but yeah the whole exploration thing yeah for me the book is um I mean, uh, if you're tired of uh, gleaming cities and space travel, well, the space travel's there too, but if you want to get like your fingernails dirty and get out in the outdoors and the wilderness survival, this is a book for you. Yep. And, uh, I mean, it's one of the, the words we bandied around uh, when we were talking about the book. It's about being the apex predator. <laughs> oh. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of uh, – and we thought it really tied in well with Whole Force of Destiny, exploring ancient ruins and exploration and blazing trails and fun stuff like that. This is that's, – that's a damn good sell. Um, <laughs> I just like it because I get to catch Pokemon. Um, <laughs> that is pretty you know, much, that, yeah. We talked about beasts to put in the bestiary section. That is one we did forget, so <laughs> maybe, maybe a reprint, maybe a reprint. <laughs> Um, so, okay, piggybacking off that, I mean, and this kind of dovetails really into what the design goals were for the book. And I mean, 
what 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 did you as 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 you guys were really developing this and coming up with the concept? I mean, what were the what were the main goals you wanted to see developed for this book, and, and were there any hard choices you had to make? Yeah, well, um, main goals going in, um, we knew we wanted to include uh, beast writing rules and beasts. Hmm. Um, we definitely wanted you know a new force power, uh, you know new specializations, new species. Um, for me, a lot of it was wilderness settings. Uh, I wanted this almost to feel like a wilderness source book in a big generic sense. Um, and also the survival, going hand in hand with wilderness. Um, I always felt that survival really needed a lot more love. Uh, and then animal companions. Uh, for me, uh, that immediately uh, triggered, no, no pun intended, but trigger Silver with the Lone Ranger, Ampersand for Yorick. Um, <laughs> You've got animal companions who are not just, uh, oh, yeah, I've got a dog. But it's almost a really cool NPC uh, with the group that has a lot of flavor and character. Very cool. I'm, and I'm paging through this. And a lot of that, I think, is represented in the art. I mean, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, Do you guys have a favorite piece of art that uh, Zoe and company uh, compiled for the book? Tim? This was tough for me. I mean, I really do like actually the table of contents art, which I think is on the back cover as well. Yeah, it is. Um, oh, yeah. That's a cool one. I, I thought like that really piece. captured a lot of the kind of like the wilderness setting, but also that kind of epic feel that a lot of the, the Star Wars art captures where it, it feels, uh, feels very big, very cinematic. Um, I thought that was a really cool one. Um, but, yeah, that's a tough one because I thought the specializations were really great. I mean, for me, a lot of it is just when I when I write up the art briefs, and a lot of them are the freelancers. I know Jason. You know, when we get into the armory section, especially, a lot of the ideas there, where we go back and forth with the freelancers for ideas for the art, and then we sit down with our art coordinators and come up with the art. Um, and then sometimes it's like, you know, you. I mean, I, if I could draw, I could, I would, but I can't. So I have to use words to describe stuff. So when I see the art match the words even better than I thought, it's like yes. And, um, I mean, a lot of the pieces in here really did that, um, especially as, as I think people have commented before, page 92. <laughs> I love that picture. And I, I, I am terrified of spiders, but I love that picture. I think it, it really was fun. I mean, I remember that one in particular because Zoe and I when we went down through these. And a lot of them were just me writing down, you know, let's show – um, somebody with like a sniper rifle up to their, their eye and they're taking a shot. You don't see what they're shooting at. You see this concentration on their face. And that's all I've got. And then we flesh it out. And I think that one was kind of, well, let's see how many things we can hit in one go. You know, we'll hit <laughs> the uh, solitary individual because that's a big theme in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got uh, that character is going to be absolutely badass looking uh, with a big gun or a big weapon of some sort. And then an animal companion who would be terrifying otherwise. But here they're just – it's downtime. They're relaxing. And then uh, probably about 10 minutes later and a lot of laughing, uh, we sort of came up with the uh, spider wolf. And uh, the again, badass-looking uh, killer type character, maybe like going through her data pad of uh, upcoming contracts to fill maybe. And a big, huge gun next to her. And a hammock, of course. You know, I didn't even see the rifle until you mentioned it. Yeah, well, there's just so much. Go- I mean, I love the fact that there's a lot going on there. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I'm going to use her as an NPC now. Yeah, I mean, she looks very quietly competent. Yep. Until she's yeah. she, she's very good at her job. Yep. 
which is riding a giant spider and scaring the hell out of everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it. If I remember uh, her Facebook uh, her Facebook feed, that was like Zoe's favorite picture from the entire book. Yeah, it, it was that was one we 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 really loved just concepting up. And again, that, that's always a fun part of the the work here is when we go through with our art coordinators for a book, and you know, okay, we know roughly how many new pieces we want to get and what kind of things we want to do. And a lot of them are ideas, you know, from like Jason, the freelancers. What's okay? Let's do this ship or whatever. What's going to look like? Uh, but some of them are just like mood pieces, and that's where the uh, art coordinator will, you know, have ideas and pitch in, and we'll sort of go back and forth a little bit, think about, you know, what can we do, and then the artist, that person themselves, will actually have, you know, great input in it as well. Um, and sometimes we'll get stuff that's like, wow, that's how did you read my mind? Because the words didn't capture that at all. Mm-hmm. Jason, you got a favorite piece? I do. I have a couple actually. Um, one of my favorites is the one on page 38. Um, it's, uh, Oh I can, yeah. I can never remember her, her, the name of her race. Um, but that's, yeah, they're sorry. That's all. Uh, she's cool and all, but man, do I love that speeder bike <laughs> yes. and I love the little face painted on it. Like I just, yes. that's, it's very, it's, it has a lot of personality and I love the, you know, the coloring, the stripes and like, I could just have a picture of that speeder bike and be happy. Like that's a great painting. Um, you know, obviously I love the giant spider one. And then on, let me get the page up here. It is page 55 in the armory. It's a picture of the, uh, LM 002 bloodhound. Yeah. Oh, now, you know, whenever I, whenever I am trying to come up with ideas for new vehicles, that's a vehicle I came up with whole cloth. Um, I'm like, well, you know, what is this going to look like? What's it going to do? And I based my art description on a vehicle years and years and years ago, like back in the eighties, Lamborghini made an SUV <laughs> and they sold it to the Italian army. They didn't make very many of them. So the Italian army used a few of them and then they were sold as like very expensive, high end V12 luxurious SUVs. And this was, you know, Jesus. this is like, before the before the SUV, you know, the luxury SUV craze, this is like an eighty six or eighty seven, and so my art description was a picture of that Lamborghini SUV, and like it should look like this, and I gave like more like armored and you know da da da. I'm like it's basically this vehicle in space with lasers, <laughs> and, and the artist nailed it. <laughs> That's epic. Yeah, I was really I was really happy with that picture. Dude. I love it. It looks like it, it came right out of like Fifth Element, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does. Yeah, love that movie. The, it, oh, the, my favorite little piece are the bumpers in the front. This thing looks like it could just drive through a building. It's just <laughs> well, the whole idea. <laughs> right. well, the, the words in, nearly indestructible uh, do, yeah. do go into it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Phil, I'm curious your thoughts. Favorite pieces? Um, one of them's already been said. The uh, the the speeder and the Natolan on page thirty eight. I love that artist. I I love anything that they put in the book because it always comes out awesome. Uh, I really dig the leaping Jedi on page seven just because oh, that's we all have that one guy. Dude, I, I I'm a huge fan of character art and like that that leaping Jedi on. I mean the the intensity in the face. I mean everything. I love that piece. But my favorite in the book is page 71. Yeah. That wall crawling oh, yeah. lizard. Is that supposed to be a Hergel? 
Uh, not exactly. I mean, we did describe the Hurgles as having like uh, multiple jointed limbs, yeah. but pretty much everything else about it, sure, yeah. I mean, okay, so yeah, I love that one too. I mean, I think, again, it's that wonderful vista kind of view where it's not just you see something, but you see almost like a huge chunk of the world as well that uh, the artists for Star Wars really capture a lot. But, yeah, I love that one, too. That thing looks very biomechanical. You know, it It looks like like its flanks and its tail, they look like they're bricked. Well, and the eye is clearly clearly prosthetic. You can, if you you dig into it, that looks metallic. Um, You know, it's one thing, I mean, because, I mean, obviously... I wrote the description for it, but then you see the art coming back and looking at it now, I'm wondering if like, wow, does it have like maybe chameleon scales on it because it's blending so well with the sort of autumn kind of feel for everything around it. Right. Um, I mean, there's so much you can read into it once you see it. It's great. Whatever it is, it's awesome. And I love it. It's my favorite, yeah. one of my favorite pieces in the book. My- and again, really wonderful, competent looking person writing it uh, at an incredibly steep incline going downhill. Based on her uh, armor, I wonder if she's like a cop. Could be, could be, or like uh, at least some corporate, uh, some corporate uh, employee, or, or, or maybe like an organized orienteering master. Yeah. So there's like twenty of them behind her, and they're like just all orienteering together. She's a game warden. <laughs> oh, there you go. That'd be a good one. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, leader of a hunting party. I can, I can totally. I can, yeah, yeah, that would be good too. I can, I can totally see that. You, you can pretty much create a whole adventure around that, which, again, that's what I love when they really get some – the art nails it. You immediately start thinking, wow, I want to use that in an adventure. Don't know what's Pictures. going on, but I want to use it in an adventure. Picture's worth a thousand words and at least a hundred stories. Yep. Yeah, easily. Um, my personal favorite in the book is um, the two-page spread on page 1011. Mm. Is that the Reek stamp? Uh, yeah, it's the Reek, Reek surface. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's all you, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that just looks like you know ex- new extreme sport. I mean, yeah, it's 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 <laughs> Lenny Greek writing. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, yeah, um, actually, it looks to me this picture tells of me of that whole. How do we turn the tide of this battle? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly I, this. This is the whole. This is the Tarzan moment. This is this here is comes when, the X Factor. Yes, here comes yeah. the X Factor. It's it's the it's the the, the Jedi said, I'll, I'll I'll be back with reinforcements, and then at, at, at the zero hour with Gandalf with the horse with the yes. army of horses over over the over the plateau comes this army of Reeks. Just just I love I love the fact that there's clearly males and females in the herd. It's a herd. Um, yep. There's there's an adolescent off uh, in the corner. It's. Um, it's it's really good, and the other one, uh, just personally because I'm a huge fan and no one else is. Um, page sixty four again. I said I love character portraits. Um, the grizzled one eyed Ewok hunter. Yeah, I, I I mean I'm a guy who actually played an Ewok through an entire campaign, <laughs> so uh, nobody else likes Ewoks. But I love. Oh, that I love pretty Ewoks. awesome. I love you. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean he's a hunter. I mean boom. You can't get more hunter looking than that. You just can't. So I I, uh, I it's just wonderful wonderful stuff. Um, and we already talked about it. Blackbird eight eight eight. One of the questions he had was the picture on page ninety two. Why? <laughs> um, but I, I yeah. If you're if you're arachnophobic, yeah, totally. I gotta say, I love the Twi'lek dude on the cover. Yeah, he looks like he has had enough of your garbage. I thought that was a female. I'm thinking that's, that's a female too. Are you sure? Yeah. No. Although, I mean, Maybe. I'd have to actually look at the art brief to be sure about it, but eh. I think that's just a lanky dude. Okay, we'll just we'll just say it's we'll just say it's an anime Twi'lek, and that way it'll be gender neutral. It will be. <laughs> there you go. Wow. 
But yes, that Twi'lek has had enough of your garbage. Yeah. Again, you know, look, I, I like I like that kind of look of, of yeah, been there, done that. Yeah. What's the next job? That I'm look is like, it. oh, seriously? Love it. Love it. The rifle's pretty cool, too. Well, all right, let's let's dig then in as we go through the book, looking at this beautiful art, into some uh, some some chapter one goodness. I mean, Phil, Phil, what do we got here, man? I mean, well, as usual, not only does this chapter provide new backgrounds for seekers, but new moralities and motivations as well. Um, starting with the classic new moralities, we saw some familiar strengths and weaknesses, but we had a few new ones as well, and some old ones paired off with different new partners. Uh, new emotional strengths of empathy paired with the new weakness and uh, paired with the new weakness vengeance, uh, assertiveness and independence, along with lots of new emotional weaknesses: recklessness, disarray, vengeance, disdain, cold-heartedness, mercilessness, and closed-mindedness. Um, guys, there are lots of descriptions and weaknesses really seem to play on the worst parts of being a loner. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Um. Well, for me, that that's pretty much what we were trying to go for. Um, I like twisting up some of the, the strengths and weaknesses. Uh, obviously, we wanted to come up with some new ones. But one of the things, the more I thought about a lot of these characters being uh, isolated, um, obviously the hermit, for example, mm. but that could lead towards emotions getting stronger, uh, especially in a bad way, when you're not around other people. Um, and that's probably me just reading too much into all of this. But I thought, okay, where can we go with some of these? Um, that uh, that would be maybe a little darker is probably not the right word, but getting up there um, to try to try to explore that sort of loner mindscape. Very nice, very nice, and they certainly fit. Um, like you like like you said, they they really do latch on to the the dark the dark the. I don't want to say the dark side, but the downside yeah. of the, being a loner. Yeah, I mean, and, and especially one of the, the things we can talk about later on where the, this is a, a book about people who are um, sort of on their own for choice or because, you know, that, that's how the circumstances led them there and they're pretty much acting as they are directed themselves to do it. So that can lead to some bad stuff, uh, twisting some good emotions into bad ones. Plus, again, we just wanted to throw some new ones in there just to have some new ones to make, mix things up a little bit. Of course, of course. Uh, and as far as motivations go, you guys gave us a brand new set which really fits in with a lot of other aspects about this book <laughs> in the pursuits set of, uh, of motivations. Ten new vo- motivations uh, that, cata- uh, that perfectly line up with Seeker's backstories and mind frames. Uh, what can you tell us about these new motivations that you guys came up with? A lot of it was just... Uh just when we're throwing around ideas for what could be a new motivation, and it's like, well, these are seekers, so pursuit, would that work? And it's, okay, well, let's just start listing them out and see, see what we can get. And, uh, and obviously, you know, things you could pursue, they could be intangible things, you know, happiness, um, whatnot. But again, going to some of the darker ones, like vengeance. Um, and then again, the obvious ones, uh, where you're you're definitely just trying to be the best you can possibly be. Efficiency, um, the force obviously is a good one to pursue for a lot of the characters. They want to learn more about this. They're not going to have necessarily anybody around to tell them what the heck all these weird abilities they have are. So, 
what I loved what I loved about these motivations is the fact that the pursuits category is is all these motivations are non-specific, and yeah. and the reason is I think when you're playing a seeker, especially there's a danger to of of having a motivation that you're seeking something very specific, and and the problem is when that's your motivation is to like you know restore you know take down the empire you know or I'm seeking someone or an individual or a thing very specifically. When you achieve that goal, your character's motivation is now in flux. But these are very general concepts that fit sort of the wanderer for wanderer's sake. You know, I'm, I'm not seeking vengeance on the man who murdered my parents. I'm seeking justice. Like, my pursuit is justice overall, right? Or and, wealth or knowledge, right? And even if you are seeking vengeance, uh, well, we thought, you know, if that's the way you sort of operate, sure, you, you may have gotten vengeance for the one thing. You're going to find something else to seek vengeance for. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's just never going to end. And, and, and you can never have enough money. Never, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, but, that was an easy one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, like, for, for vengeance, like, it's specifically called out. It's like, you know, there is always a new target awaiting attention. And, yep. and I, I, I appreciated that a lot. So <laughs> there, there is that. Oh, and by the way, uh, we do have an a, a interesting thing in chat. Um, uh, Swiftdraw, I think, solved our debate about the gender identity of oh. the Twi'lek on the cover. It's a female because the ears. I, uh, to be oh, honest, right. I never saw it as anything but, and it may just be I'm subconsciously remembering the art description for it. Yeah, but oh. if you if you if you check the male Twi'lek that we'll come to in a bit for the Executioner. Um, oh yeah, I think about that. Um, and, and and now I'm thinking back, and I've been actually uh, uh, googling pics of Twi'leks. Yeah. Every Twi'lek so far has been presented with humanish ears if they're male, and the cone ears if they're female. Oh, Robbie Dean, look at that. And you know, Zoe was working this one, so yeah. It, I'm sure she nailed it. So yeah, I, I, I did not even make that connection myself until Swiftdraw brought it up in chat. So good on you, Swiftdraw. Huh. Um, Thanks, Swiftdraw. Thanks, chat room. Dude, I have another piece of Star Wars knowledge to my lexicon. This <laughs> Look is at that. And you can never have enough. <laughs> um, okay, so also this chapter gives us some new species. Um, we have the, the anvil-headed reptiles whose blush tells too much, uh, the Anks. Um, the notorious naturalist with a killer singing voice, the Athorians, and the genetically modified Zexto offshoot, the Quermians. Um, and, uh, you know, before we get into some details around this, we actually had a, a question from uh, Krieger22 about the Quermians specifically. He said, I'm wondering, where did the decision to make Quermians six-limbed come from? I mean, every single non-fan art image of them, both online and in the book, shows them with only two arms. That is correct. They're always shown, near as I can tell, with two arms, but they do indeed have four. Uh, okay. Evidently, they keep the other two like under the robes or whatever. But they are supposed to have two sets of arms. Interesting. Interesting. I want to say that way back in the early 2000s, there was a Dark Horse Jedi comic series that had that Cormian Jedi uh, before they killed him off, just before Episode Two. And there was one instance where we saw his his two his Ooh. his second set of arms. Hmm. So me hearing them that they had these six arms was uh, that they this, <laughs> this sixth sixth set six limbs. Um, <laughs> Wasn't an entirely shocking surprise. Like, oh yeah, they do have that. Yeah. Well, that's your so, answer, Krieger Twenty Two. Yeah, you just evidently you just, uh, and it could be just that's how they've always been drawn. But uh, I seem to remember something somewhere saying that they kept the other two usually hidden or under the robes or whatever. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Subtle. And, subtle. And, I've, and and obviously Krieger goes without saying that LFL is going to vet <laughs> the book. 
<laughs> so, right. so I'm, I'm pretty sure they probably said, yeah, Aquarians have six arms or have six limbs, um, which which is there. Um, so, okay, with that as I mean, overall, what can you guys tell us about the design goals for these new species? And we had several people ask, you know, of course, why include these species and not others? And and yeah, what, what did you hope these guys would bring to the book and, and to the game overall? Well, I think I think uh, people on before like Max have, have said, you know, we sort of go in, we've got a sort of rough list of the species we want to put in each book that we're sort of having a line plan. Um, and it's not, not locked in, of course. These things, uh, as we get to like, okay, this is what we're really going to do. We talk about it a bit more. Yeah, these are the ones we're going to do. Or uh, maybe hey, we, new things have come in. Let's maybe do this instead. Um, which is actually one of the cool things now that we're living in a dynamic Star Wars environment. Which is mm. cool. um, So, yeah, these were, I, I mean, for me personally, uh, looking at them, I was all, all for them. Uh, I really didn't have any like, uh, let's maybe do something else instead. I mean, I look at the angst. And I immediately see, and a lot of this was captured in the species art. I immediately see that and think hermit. Boom. I mean, for me, they just look like, again, the guy with the staff and the robes mm. with a little hut somewhere. And I think we used uh, angst hermits a couple of times in the book just because it felt so right for me. Um, the Athorian, um, I'm trying to remember if the timing was, I mean, again, lots of great art in the past and instances of them uh, being force users and... I know there was a baby in, in Rebels. Um, somebody help me out here. What was the name of the episode in Rebels when they're like they're trying to rescue a little baby a Thorian a Force user? Man, I don't know the names, but I remember the episode. Remember yeah, the episode, okay. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure someone remembers that one. Yep. So again, that's sort of tied in there. Uh, we wanted to that get that was them. one of the first ones where we saw the the third brother and seventh sister in action. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They went to that planet. That was the first time they popped up. Yeah, because it was like one huge chase scene. I think it was the second time. Second time they second popped. Time? It was like the first. Like yeah, the, you're, the, you're probably the right. The season premiere had them, and yes. then this is the first time we've seen them since. Yeah, and then and then they became like established villains showing up again. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, again, they had a lot of cool like force heritage almost with the canon, so mm. we started to put them into Force and Destiny. Um, and the Cormians, I thought that was interesting. One of the things for me is my mindset for this book was, uh, especially when we get into like the Executioner, was just very calm, very cool. Um, not like the screaming, running, uh, very emotional kind of. I looked at those guys and it felt like that kind of, yeah, that kind of coldness almost could come through really well. So yeah, I was really happy to work on them. I think they got they they bring in some neat stuff. Uh, the Cormians also have the whole uh, incredibly perceptive kind of feel to them, where they pick up all these nonverbal cues from the yeah. people around them. Mm. Um, and then of course the uh, the Anks, um, you know, had the whole hook in with. Um, uh, survival and you know one with nature and those kinds of things would fit into the book really well too. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the Athorians. I'm way off that here. Well, yeah, Athorians. Athorians were a classic choice for me just because they're all na- they're all hippies, you know. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, they're all hippies. But um, do uh, so for both of you. Um, do you have a favorite species of the three? Tim, mm, I wow. I kind of like the Yanks. I think mostly because of the way they sort of came through in the book. Um, I had a lot of fun coming up with neat things to use them for in the book. Yeah, they uh-huh. have. I, I I I like I like the the Yanks because of their. Uh, usually, when you see a species, you're like, oh yeah, well that's going to play. A, okay, I'm going to make an intellectual character with that, right? Everything go, you know, like. Um, uh, or I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a, a meat wall with that. I mean, it kind of goes. They have this sort of mixture of it's like. 
it's, you know, here's a little bit of social. I mean, you get killed with kindness, and then at the same time, you get lethal blows. And it's it's this weird mixture of... of <laughs> the social tank. Yeah, the social yeah. tank. Yeah. The sort of innate abilities. Oh, here you go. Oh, and here you go. And, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I like it. And they're also just big. I mean, they're just yeah. physically big. I guess I didn't realize how big they are. Yeah, they, they say in here, like, what, four meters? And yeah, they, they stand up they're high. Huge when they're like not crouching down. Dude, that's huge. Yep. Jason, what about you? I love the Athorians. Yeah. Like in yep. this, I mean, my very favorite race is not in this book, but in this book, I love the Athorians. Well, what is your very favorite race? Uh, ver- fr- first very favorite race is Monkhouse. Second mm. very favorite race is the Harch. Ooh. The what? The Harch. The spider humanoids? Yeah. Oh! What was his, what oh, was his name? Right, right, right. Admiral... Uh, Trench. Admiral Trench. Yep. Trench, yeah. I love the Harch. Uh, Gotta find yeah. those guys in a book. The Athorians are cool. <laughs> I've always liked Athorians, you know, all the way back to, like, D6 Star Wars. Yeah. Um, I When I think of the character classes from the old that old game, I think of the Laconic Scout, because he was an Athorian. A piece of art was his... His piece of art was an Athorian. Yeah, and I just, I, you know, that, so they always strike me as a very sort of, you know, out in the wilderness, a very, you know, scouty kind of, you know, loner kind of uh, race. And I love their, um, their vocal abilities. Yeah. And if you Google Harch, like the second image that comes up is a Harch Sith that's pretty freaking terrifying. Really? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So... Yeah, the hearts are super cool, but they're not in this book. So. Very cool. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, oh, that's creepy. Isn't that creepy? <laughs> oh, no. no, thank you. Yeah. No, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would not like that guy on my spaceship. No, no, no. No, no, no thank you. You can, you can walk, sir. You can walk. Yeah. <laughs> you can catch another ship. So, Phil, do you want to take us into specializations, man? Yes, yes, and I would like to thank you for these specializations, and and so would my younger brother, who is playing an Ewok seeker, uh, home-brewed Ewok, and um, yeah, with the inclusion of this book, he is now able to take five or even all six specializations and not have to leave his career, Um, (laughs) because you gave him a wonderful class that has two force ratings in it that fits him a little bit better than the seeker, uh, than the seer, I mean. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the, the, this is the this is the one section of the book that the fans absolutely jump on first, as far as details, um, you know, detailing the new character options and specializations available to them. Uh, we have some very intriguing ones w- that you've given us at Savage Spirits. Before we get into that, though, we had a few questions asking for the overall design goals here. Uh, what character concepts or goals were these three sp- uh, careers uh, specializations based on? Um, so going into it, there were a lot of just sort of words we threw around of, of things when we thought about what this book was trying to capture, um, that these would kind of embody in some ways. Obviously, wilderness, um, again, apex predator, we love that term, at least I did. Exploration, lethality, um, seeking perfection, uh, motivation from within. Um, and those things sort of like tied in with uh, some of the stuff we were looking for. Obviously, seeker, seeking uh, as well. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, these things really kind of hit those. Uh, we thought Grayson gave us some interesting new things to work with. 
Um, and that was something actually, you know, and each of the producers does it different ways. Uh, I like to write the opening fiction bit, sort of like once the book is done, and sort of like what can I pull out and sort of bring to life in the fiction. Um, so, you know, those kinds of things of the, you know, we had the hermit, we had an executioner guy, uh, animal companion, uh, we even drew in the, the force, the new force power, um, sort of bring all that to life and, and sort of show what these specializations really could be. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it was, uh, again, that sort of loner feeling in one way or another that we sort of, we tried, uh, to sort of bring it, bring to life in each of these specializations. Love it. And I think you've captured that quite, quite handily. Um, so let's dive into them. Uh, let's start with the executioner, basically the darker force using cousin of the big game hunter. Uh, this is a spec that you've given us that dips into the darkness of the force and is devoted to hunting and killing quarry. Uh, what can you tell us about the design goals for specifically for the executioner? So, yeah, this one really was the embodiment of that whole apex predator. Um, if the seeker is often by, by themselves, um, then they've got to be the biggest and the baddest around. And the executioner is kind of that, that character, um, uh, very cold isn't the right word, but it's close probably. Um, uh, someone who, uh, and, and one thing we did want to try to hit in this for this specialization was someone who's not necessarily the best warrior, the best shot, the best combatant. But when that character does hit you, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot. Um, the whole like one hit down kind of character. Um, so not necessarily someone who's going to be uh, the best fighter around, the best best shooter. Um, but but yeah, that that uh, that was kind of for me the thinking I've, I've tried to put into it, um, which led to a lot of the, a lot of the talent creation. Well, we have some questions about the talent specifically. Sure. Um, <clears throat> and I, I, this one actually is for me. I mean. Talk to me about terrifying kill, man. I mean, it's it's definitely it's definitely a signature ability for this spec. Um, but another conflict cost talent. This seems to be a running theme in the book, in the books, guys. That we're going to have, uh, you know, in, the, in these in these force the using source books. With a name like Executioner, he almost needed to have at least one conflict causing talent. I mean, <laughs> that would that would have been disappointing if he didn't have anything like that. I got to admit, I'm liking the trend. I, I am enjoying seeing more talents introduced that just cause conflict just by knowing it. I, I really like that aspect. Well, dude, Phil, you and I were talking about this, I think, last episode, where it's like one of the reasons I really enjoy this system is the fact that a player can go dark and still remain a PC and a viable PC and still be heroic. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's just a, part, a great part of the system. It is about um, how... You know, I say, how low are you willing to go? How low are the other people around you willing to let you go? Um, it's it's all about the you know the, the dark and the light of your soul, not just necessarily how many credits you have or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, now we had some listener questions. I think quite a few about the executioner. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, did we not? We did. Uh, Ender Melk uh, Melchior. I think. So. Yeah. Ender Melchior. Uh, he had a, had a question uh, about one of the Executioner's signature talents, the Terrifying Kill talent. It is an amazingly thematic talent. However, I have a question about this particular part of it. And quotes, The character rolls Force Die, no greater than his Force rating, 
and may spend force points to inflict one strain on any other characters within short range of that target. The use of the term characters, does that also potentially mean fellow player characters if everyone is in a melee at short range with the target is triggered? Thanks, and I love the source book. Well, first off, thanks. Thanks. Uh, glad you liked it. And secondly, yes, it does. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I would think so. My thoughts for this... Um, Dude! Ra- raise, your electronic, exactly? raise your electronic hands if you remember the original Day of the Jackal movie. Um, oh, yeah. The bit where he takes his uh, new sniper rifle out in the countryside with a melon and uh, hangs it from the tree, testing yep. out his uh, sniper rifle and the exploding bullets. That, for me, was terrifying kill. Imagine if that shot had gone off as planned and you were around it and somebody's head just exploded right next to you. It doesn't matter if you're fighting that guy. It's still going to sort of like uh, upset your day. <laughs> this is unsettling. So, yeah, a lot of it is, I mean, for me, when I'm doing these, I, I latch on to films or TV shows. And uh, Edward Fox is a jackal in that. Just he was an executioner. He was wonderful. And let's face it. You need some, some cold-hearted ally who sees that and isn't phased at all by it. Yeah. You, you're probably even even though you, that your your friend quote unquote took out somebody you were fighting, you're probably still upset with them. <laughs> if only for the dude that could have been me. And, and well, the cleanup too. I mean, you've got a <laughs> lot of stuff to clean off your your rugs and whatnot. I just bought this. Just a little warning. I could have put an umbrella up first. Come on. <laughs> it's just a little wily e. coyote umbrella come out. You know. <laughs> Uh, uh, Jedi Ronin also chimed in with another ex- uh, another executioner talent question, or possibly a typo clarification. He asks, the essential kill talent states that it can be used on combat checks other than gunnery and when operating non-starship weapons. Shouldn't that be when operating starship weapons? Oh, that's... Uh, uh, when operating starship weapons? It's, it's yeah, the, the correct wording, there's, there's too many negatives in there, I think. Right. Um, it is an error. Uh, the goal for that uh, was uh, that it was about the personalized kill, not yeah. me opening up with a turbo laser and shooting your starship, but me opening up with my my lightsaber even and taking you out. Right. Yeah. So in other words, you can't use it on it's, – it's meant to be used for personal scale weapons basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not for inflicting like gigantic destruction and blowing up a city or something like that. Not to be used with missile launchers, not to be used with heavy repeating blasters, it's, not to be used with turbo lasers. It's, it's for me to take out you, not for me yeah. to take out like, you and everybody around you. Yeah. The building. Well, it also means you can't – Or your tank or your, yeah. your Star Destroyer. It also means you can't use it in Starship combat because this would be pretty brutal in Starship combat. And again, well, it's, it, it's, it's supposed to be a personalized kind of uh, talent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bungo Underhill – is curious about the hunter's quarry talent. Uh, for hunter, for the hunter's quarry talent, does it affect everyone's combat checks against the target, or just the character using the talent? And does it work at all ranges up to long, engaged through long, or only at long? Oh. Thank you. Okay, um, I'm trying to remember. I think this talent was originally Enter the Unknown, and I believe it is supposed to be everyone and all ranges within long. Mm-hmm. I'm actually trying to look it up myself. Just quarry. I think we probably the wording's identical, so it doesn't within really long range. Fortunately, yeah, within long. 
within long range. So anything up to and including long range. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it says all attacks made against the target. So yeah. It, I mean, I, I always viewed it as sort of a um, the, that character sort of pointing it out to everybody else. Um, yeah. Or it could just be kind of like it could even be something as abstract as painting the target with like a, a laser of some sort, so everyone sees it. Everyone well, shoot them here, boys. Yeah. Dude, that yeah. rustle in the bushes. Everybody aim there. Yeah, it's another one of those group buff skills and, and talents, and that's cool to have. I love those. Um, well, next after the executioner, we had the navigator. Um, uh, wait, oh, wait, wait. did I go too, did I go too fast? I missed the hermit. Sorry, 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 hermit, hermit, hermit. Sorry. It's okay. Hermit was out hanging out. It's easy to forget about the hermit. Well, he, he's the old man out there in the desert. He is. And, and he's so, okay. I just got to say this, man. I can finally play a druid in this game. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm going to cry. Um, so this, this is, <laughs> A spec that is mostly devoted to dealing with beasts and having a bitch and animal companion buddy. Um, that you can also use to kill, maim, and scare your enemies. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, dude, can you, can you tell us about the design goals for this spec? Well, Hermit um, kind of nails it all right there. Um, it was kind of interesting because for for everyone else, the seekers are generally seeking something that's you know out there somewhere. And here, the hermit, we wanted someone who's sort of like seeking something more within, um, sort of like the getting back to nature kind of feel. And uh, so that's why I actually has some really cool force, uh, like two force ratings for him, um, and a lot of stuff that lets him sort of like almost that uh, this sort of hermit who's meditating all the time kind of feel to him. Um, but yeah, communing with the living force, uh, kind of like living the simple life. Um, the tough one actually there was trying to not go so stereotypical into what you know you think of as the recruits of hermit and actually try to pepper the book in a lot of areas with well, how would this guy actually join a group if he's perfectly fine just living on his own? Well, that was my primary question to you about this for me was like due to this whole shtick as a hermit, I mean, what, what advice can you give a player or a GM as to just narratively such a character would be ready and willing to work with a party of PCs? Yeah, that's and pretty much the first step has to be almost when uh, the GM and the player are working, coming with characters. Why is this guy being a hermit? Why is she being a hermit? Sorry, as well. Um, what what sort of motivated that character to be a hermit in the first place? Because then you kind of twist it. Okay, well that's probably the biggest way they would not be. Uh, it could be as something as simple as they're on the run. They're sort of like they're trying to get away from somebody after them, and that thing that's after them finds them and sort of drives them out. Or it could be uh, they were trying to learn more about the Force, and these other people come along who also can use the Force. Hmm, I think I'll follow them for a while and see what else I can learn. Um, So that would be my, I mean, it seems kind of obvious, but sort of take that original reason why they became hermits and twist it, do a 180 on it. Um, And that's that's usually the easiest way, although, I mean, it could be almost anything, really. Uh, The place they were living got blown up. Boom. Mm-hmm. Okay, they got to go somewhere else now. That's the cheapest way to do it, I would say. But hey, gotcha. Well, and, and the other cool thing about the hermit uh, that I like this sort of ties in with that they're really good at survival. So if for whatever reason where they're at, uh, the plants start dying, you know, the animals start going away. Maybe they're just trying to get vengeance on whatever's doing ill to uh, the place they're at, and so they're they're off. That could be their new motivation, even. 
You have killed the mother tree. Um, yeah, boom. <laughs> um, thankfully, the Navi are not in Star Wars yet. Yet, but this would be their book. <laughs> this, this, this definitely would be their book. Um, the and, and uh, of the three, the Hermit's my favorite, um, just because of the the uh, the focus on on animal companions. Um, I think it's a really neat, and we're going to get into it a lot more. I know a really the, the most unique, obviously, edition of this book, in my opinion. Um, but we had uh, several questions actually from one of our listeners, uh, Blackbird eight eight eight. He had several questions for us, including some actually that were already answered by you online, Tim. Um, uh, for him, but I think they're really good questions worth going over again here on the cast so that everyone sure. can hear them. Um, so he had three questions uh, regarding uh, this spec particularly. Uh, first, he wanted to know the status of harass and menace as force talents. Um, they both work uh, with only work with bonded animals, and animal bond is a force talent. I mean, harass is, is shown to be a force talent in the tree, but it isn't described as such in the full description. I mean, I mean, ultimately, are harass and menace supposed to be force talents or not? I mean, can yeah, I take I think they should be. Okay. Um, cool. I mean, because that, that's my question too. Is like, do I need do I need to be force sensitive? To you know what I mean? Um, yeah. To go into this, um, and he follows up with speaking of menace. What is the reason behind its limitations? And he says basically, for it to even be useful, a character would have to have a force rating of four. Uh, which would require a second specialization with another rank of force rating, as it only works with silhouette two creatures um, that are linked through animal bond and are suitably threatening, which just excludes creatures like the Nexu, which would seem like an ideal match for the talent. Yeah, um, I, I definitely see the point. Um, we definitely wanted this to be about larger creatures, um, so silhouette two. Um, but you could also work it in with, uh, it does have the caveat about the size differentials, and there's really no reason why, in the course of a campaign, you can't have creatures becoming different sizes, especially if you're raising them yourself. Um, so I have no problem with somebody, you know, having a slightly bigger next to. I think they're, they're perfect. They, you just look at them and they scream uh, menace right there. Hmm. So I'd, I'd say that's something you could probably work out with the GM. But, yeah, we didn't want it to be um, that easy to do, I guess, is probably not the right word, but close. Um, because it is it is pretty awesome ability. It really so, is, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a toughie, but I, th- I think we're happy with it. Okay. Um, lastly, he says comparing the hermit's force connection talent with the pathfinder's animal empathy talent, it seems force connection can be used in all the situations animal empathy can be used and more. Thoughts? It is definitely more flexible. It's a lot more expensive. Mm. Um, so I'm okay with that. Um, but so yes, it, no, it, it, point taken. It, well, it no, is, but it, it's better. It's just harder to get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, I think it's kind of cool if we try to put in every tree, something that is like pretty darn cool in that tree. Um, and maybe, maybe this is slightly better than, uh, something else that it kind of overshadows, but eh, I, I think that's okay myself every now and then. Gotcha. It's kind of buried in the tree a bit too. Oh yeah. No, it's not an easy one to get. No, There's really, a lot of left really turns not. at Albuquerque to get that one. Yeah, it's it's really not. Um, yeah, but it's worthwhile when you get it. It's just it takes. Yeah, got it. It's it's expensive to get to get there and then to get it. So, hmm. okay. Well, speaking of Quermians, um, Phil, do you want to lead us through my uh, verbal faux pas earlier and talk about the navigator? <laughs> sure. Uh, 
you've given us uh, as something you've given us to expect in career books. Uh, you've given us this, this kind of out, not out left field, but I really dig the fact that you've given us the force wielding master of navigation, <laughs> um, the navigator. Uh, this spec is really all about movement stuff, uh, talents for starship navigation, tracking people, chase scenes, personal movement in and out of combat. Man, um, what what were the design goals of this speci- uh, specialization? Um, for me, this this seemed like the kind of character where, uh, and I think we say it a lot of times in the book, uh, the journey is more important than the destination. How you get there, not what you're actually trying to get. Um, that was a big the, part of it. I'm sorry? The map, the, the map of the tree certainly supports that theory. <laughs> Well, that also does tie in with we definitely wanted almost two paths. One, the, the uh, galaxy mapper, and the other, the planet mapper. Mm. I definitely wanted a character who was, I mean, we're in lots of characters who are good at, at like hyperspace routes and stuff, but somebody who's actually good on the ground or in the air that you could turn and say, how do we get there? Um, you know, this is the guy you turn to for directions. It's, it's solid, man. Dude, preemptive avoidance. I, I love that talent. Oh my god! It's a, I'm going to slice you up. No, you're not. <laughs> I Peace think, out. That's not a now. It's not a new one. I honestly don't remember no. which book it's from. But that, really? that's. I think it's. I, I, I think it's got to be from. Um, Should be from the core. Yeah, it's it's in the core. It's got to be the core book, but it's not that cheap in the core book, though. No, no. Well, again, this is like this you is said. This is, all, this is all about movement. So we we moved it up a little bit. No pun intended. Um, we did have a couple questions from listener Richard Buxton. Um, first off, thanks for answering our, uh, all of our questions. Uh, question one, Seeker has both piloting skills as, as career skills, yet Navigator is the only specialization to use that in any way, but without any talents directly relating to piloting. What was the thinking that went into this? Obviously, Enhance is an easy answer, and the Podracer Starfighter Ace in other careers but it's surprising to me that there wasn't a single piloting spec, perhaps someone that is an expert at difficult terrain. No, that, that's a good point. Um, he, uh, going he in, sorry? Uh, can I, I, it's, I, I know I wasn't involved in the design of this, but as a, a, as a player or a user, um, if I could jump in on that question. Um, you, know, a navigate, you know, a tracker or a navigator especially the way you know Tim was talking as someone who maps planets. Um, that's somebody who does that job on foot. You know, you're dropped. I would, I would say, like, I would, the way I would play it is, I would be dropped off and I would walk it. Um, navigators in general, you know, like when you think about a navigator who sits, who navigates a, sh- a ship or a vehicle, they're not piloting. You know, they're a support character. They're not a pilot character. Typically, yeah. And that's pretty much what I was going to say. Yeah. We're, oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah. We were looking at the navigator. I'm sorry, Jason, were you done or? No, that was it. Oh. Yeah. That was just the point I wanted to make. We, we were looking at the navigator. I mean, we kind of felt the piloting uh, as the career skill, uh, all seekers, you know, can get around on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, we were looking more for somebody here who is, you know, not necessarily a pilot, maybe never actually pilots. He knows like how to steer a ship uh, and can like, you know, at a basic level, not embarrass himself, but Wait, probably is not a uh, like an, a, a fighter ace or anybody like that. Uh, he's he's the the navigator of the ship, or on foot, the guy who like 
points, you know, take that road down that way, or trust me, the train looks bad through here, but you know, it's going to get better. I've, I've mapped all this out. We're good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, piloting for me, at least for the seeker was something that's sort of like, yeah, we're all, we're all pretty good at that. We're, we're not going to embarrass ourselves. We can start a, a ship up and get it going. Um, but our specializations are more in other areas. Yeah, these guys seem to me much more like they're they're transport pilots rather than combat pilots. Yeah, that that could definitely well kick in. I mean, there are lots of other uh, careers that are much more oriented around that. But we didn't. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's it's there's a career skill for the seekers. Um, they they have some some expertise in it. And arguably, they need to be good pilots because they're and just raw pilots because. If they're mapping out all these areas, they're going to be encountering all sorts of stellar hazards and stellar terrain that's going to require high rolls to get through safely. Or are we with somebody else who can do that for them? <laughs> exactly. And they're the ones who are reducing the difficulty of that by being an excellent co-pilot. And to be an excellent co-pilot, you need some good ranks in piloting space and piloting planetary. But you don't have to be the guy who can you know, uh, increase the defense of the ship through skilled jockey and all kinds of other piloting combat tricks that you've got it's not the point of the spec right yeah again we we wanted something a little different than just another good pilot yeah uh richard had a second question uh navigator an intelligent outdoorsman who was the clever person who came up with this interesting twist and what was the thinking that went into its development uh whippid navigators seems to be like peas and carrots if you ask me yeah, I, I a lot of that was us just sitting around, and uh, I remember for this book, just we came up with a big list of possible talents, and uh, I assume uh, we're talking about studious plotting. Probably, yeah. For me, I, I like the idea of someone who's smart about this. You know, actually isn't using just like oh, it feels like I should take a left here, but like getting the maps out, getting you know, getting the compass and whatever. Actually, figuring it out using some some applied skills and thinking to uh, how do we get across this desert kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a bit for me, um, and for me personally, I always like when we can do something that lets you take skill checks using uh, other characteristics too. Um, and for me, that felt like a good one here. This is someone who's being smart about all this. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Now, after the specs, obviously, we have our signature abilities, as we've come to expect, um, and the Seeker has two new signature abilities. Um, unexpected Demise, uh, basically, spend some time, a hard perception check, and a couple destiny points, and you can auto-magically add a triumph to any combat <laughs> check you make for a couple of rounds. Um, oh, and any crits during that time now work for rivals like they do for minions, so it'll incapacitate a rival with a crit. Any crit. Um <laughs> Uh, can you talk to us about the design goals for this ability? Because it's pretty wicked. It, I was, it's funny. I, lo- I went and looked at some of the old like, uh, like notepads and, and just rambling uh, notes for this going in. And the words dead, dead, dead uh, were written in. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, for me, the, both of these, we wanted to literally take them what they are. So you've gotten to the bottom of the tree. Where do you go from there? And for an executioner... Um, this kind of felt like the next step, just being, again, that incredibly lethal character. Um, it still doesn't actually help you hit anything or strike them in close combat. But again, when you do, it's very, very nasty. Well, okay, and in that same vein, Jedi Ronin had a question about this particular signature ability. He said, um, 
Unexpected Demise seems focused on taking the fight to the toughest foe. And this seems to be the, the complement or opposite of the hired gun signature ability Last One Standing, which deals primarily with minions and some rivals. Was Unexpected Demise designed, written, or balanced with Last One Standing in mind? I mean, for the example, uh, they, they both deal with rivals. And, and can you offer any advice to GMs in planning combat encounters with signature abilities like Unexpected Demise so they're still challenging, but still let the player using that signature ability really shine? Um, great questions. Um, really, it wasn't designed to sort of like um, interact with, I guess, maybe. Mm. Uh, we wanted to sort of stand on its own. So even if you never even knew Hired Gun, uh, that signature ability existed um, for, for Last One Standing, this would still still work on its own. Um, but again, it's almost the flip. I personally view uh, Last One Standing as sort of just opening up and just mowing down, where this is picking like one guy and you're dead. Boom. So, and then flip side of that, uh, as a GM, if I know I'm facing that, well, first off, I don't lead with my, my big big bads, put them out in front if I know somebody's got this ability facing them. Um, and maybe work in backup plans um, in case, you know, always worry that your planned big bad is going to go down. Okay, what am I going to do to keep the story going? Does, what's my backup plan? Um, what, you know, how do I – and again, you sort of think about Destiny, Pool, Destiny Point Management. Um, has it been used this encounter already? Uh, but just remember it's out there. Uh, just that you got at least one character, maybe more, maybe the whole party has it. Heck, um, what are you going to do about that? How are you going to plan those encounters around that? Hmm. Um, maybe, maybe your NP big NPCs, uh, know this as well. And maybe they aren't so just, you know, leading with their chin in an encounter, knowing that they're facing that. So yeah, it is, it's definitely something as a GM, you'd have to, think seriously about. Uh, personally, I'd have to view it encounter by encounter how I was going to manage it. Um, if I know I've got somebody out there who's that deadly. Um, but again, you could also make it a lot harder for hits to happen. Use your environmental conditions, um, other factors like that to just make it harder to get the hit in. Right on. Right on. Jason, I mean, you're an experienced GM too, man. I mean, oh yeah, you, Jason, you, what are your thoughts you, on you that? You game a lot. I'm interested to get your thoughts on this too. Um, I don't know. You know, honestly, I don't. I don't know if I have enough experience with that power to have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, just imagine. I mean, you. Can, it, it didn't have to be that particular power at all, but just in general, if you're facing someone who um, sort of has like like a touch of death almost. Oh man! I mean, because there's this general thing when you have when you have somebody who can just focus all their attention on one character and just totally pwn it, mm-hmm. and, and and you've got that 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 big bad toughie. I mean, it, 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 that's a general problem I mean, I've had in my own games. You know, where it's it's okay. How do you? I mean, how do you how do you balance it out? Still make it fun, not let them destroy. I mean, I'll, I'll be quite frank, guys. It's easier in this system than it has been in any others because GMing is so easy in this system. Oh, but sure. like in I mean, I've had. I mean, Phil, what man? We've had old D twenty games where you spend three days on a stat block, and they <laughs> they just destroy the guy in two rounds. And you're like, oh, yeah, we spend the destiny point. We spend the destiny point. Auto hit. <laughs> I was like, oh god. I mean, yeah. I mean, for something for something like this, I mean, I, you know, know like you know, I know my players. I know one of my players has this. Um, I would have the big, you know, whenever I. Um, 
you know, whenever I have my final boss fights and adventures, it's not just the main bad guy. Right. You know, he's oh, yeah. always got shields to throw in front of him. You know, he's always got minions, pardon me, minions and creatures and, you know, um, uh, you know, like, in, you know, in Star Wars, you know, maybe he's got, um, like, security turrets, you know, to keep you guys pinned down. You know, um, it basically, you know, they're not just allowed to waltz in and lay hands on the guy. Yeah. And I've had, I always keep, I always keep stat blocks in reserve as a GM. I've, I've planned encounters before where it's, okay, this is, this is a wicked crazy guy and he's, uh, you know, uh, he's an inquisitor and he can act twice around. (laughs) Okay. And and I do everything I can to, okay, I I want this to be a solo fight thematically and I'm going to make it, you know, but, but at the same time. Although I don't necessarily intend for it to be, I've got these minion uh, stat blocks in the wing. So if the fight starts to turn too quickly and I'm not getting the appropriate scene out of it, well, blast doors will open up on the side room and reinforcements will come swarming in. You know, whether th- whether that's in my original plan or not. Yeah, yeah, I do. I've done that same thing. Yeah. You know, all he's got to do is push a button, and there's another 15 <laughs> dudes in the room. Yeah. He also has to go blah ha ha. So. <laughs> well, I don't even give him that. I, I don't even give him that. Just a grimace and a button push. Yep. Um, yep. And actually, just another a quick, one for this. Just a quick nope. Yep. Another one for this, especially since it is designed around taking out, uh, you know, powerful characters, not just like shooting a minion. Uh, you could almost give the uh, the PCs like uh, the sort of. Uh, Analysis paralysis, where you give them several really good targets. Mm-hmm. Which one is mm-hmm. this guy going to spend his once per session on? Yeah. If I if I'm if I've got a group of minions that are being led by a rival, which is great, I'm at the point now with my groups. Um, there will never be one rival. There no. will there oh, will, for sure. There will always be two at least. Well, and and I'll may, may reduce my minions appropriately as a result. Especially if they've gotten to the point where they do have you know signature abilities. You yeah you want to scale up what they're facing too by a lot um so yeah i i think there's a hopefully this has helped uh uh the person had the question out uh i think we've thrown a lot of good stuff out there yeah. and maybe other people on the forums can chip in too yeah but it is, this is good advice guys so. it's also a, a serious balance point and jedi ronan actually asked me this privately but i i was looking at this the activation for this talent is an action yeah yeah that slows down the Speed at which this can be brought to bear. You got to take. You got to take. You got to take a round to go Super Saiyan. All right. It yeah. just. I mean. And, and you got to stay alive while all that's happening too. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I so mean, that Ronin is the reason. Looking over this talent again is uh, uh, looking over this uh, ability again is why I would say that you guys made the ultimate decision to have this cost an action to do. Yeah. Because <laughs> it slows that down. It's it's nasty. It's harsh. Uh, the other thing is. Um, Remember that the the critical injury to immediately incapacitate the target is on a rival NPC. If you want an NPC who can stand up to this a bit longer, make him a nemesis. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Now, on the other side of the game, we have Unmatched Pursuit, which is, in a nutshell, two destiny points to pretty much ensure a target, ship, or character can never escape you <laughs> um, for a few rounds. This is a very specific um, signature ability. Uh, I mean, can you talk to us about the goals for this? Um, yeah, again, it was kind of like, okay, you're, you could be actually coming from several routes, like hunter, navigator. Where do you go from there? Uh, for me, navigator was always about getting from point A to point B. Well, now point B is moving, and you still need to get to it or catch up with it. 
um, to to basically accomplish what you're trying to do. Um, so we like the idea of um, sort of like making a, the chase scene kind of a bit more thrilling. Um, things could be happening during it, and you're the guy who's going to always stay on their six no matter where they go. So, um, yeah, again, it was it was the kind of the feeling like, okay, we get to this tree, where do we go from here? Um, no pun intended with the name of the... <laughs> right. <laughs> this ability reminds me of the... Um, the Chase and bullet. Ah, oh, right. Yes. What a great. Yeah. Yes. So what much crap happens. happens in that chase, folks. If you haven't watched it, you know, go. It's got to be on YouTube. Watch it. That's. I mean, it's got to be on Netflix. I would think, or it's or just it's the just the chase scene. Just the chase scene. See, Tim um, and I. Tim and I are gamers of a certain age. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say either Bullet or French Connection. Oh God, yeah. Oh man, that, God, that chase and French Connection is so good. Mm. Dude, and if, if there's a lot of younger gamers, guys, I mean, there's some classic films, like Bullet, French Connection, and the original, and quite frankly, although it did not shine in other ways, watch the new re-release of uh, the remake of The Italian Job. Yes, I, that that was, I thought that was, that was uh, it wasn't necessarily as good, but it stood up there. It's, I mean, and, it's a, and I like most death in anything. <laughs> like, I, I love that guy. Yeah, most, most death is, is incredible. Um, or, or actually Fury Road, heck. Dude, yeah. Oh man, for sure. Yeah, dude. That, that's yeah. Fury Road is that's yeah, there. You go. Boom. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Okay, so as we dig through uh, the rest of this chapter, we get to the section that we had the most questions about, <laughs> <laughs> hands down, uh, which is the new force power introduced in this book, Farsight. And, and as we've grown to love, it, obviously, this book introduces a new force power. And this is the blind swordsman power that uh, Kanan Jarrus has no doubt purchased many upgrades in at this point. <laughs> the the space Zatoichi yes, power. Yes, it's the space Zatoichi power um, that lets you uh, blind swordsman your way around the galaxy. Um, it seems as though, I mean, even for the non-blind, it, it serves to provide a real way to cast your senses further. Can you briefly talk to us about what the design goals were for this power? And, and also, how does it play in the space of 4C, which can be technically used to glimpse the present, as well, um, good questions. Um, so yeah, obviously the the most basic, literally use of it is just to see in the dark mm-hmm. or when you can't see at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it came about kind of an odd way. Um, I was uh, working on the book, and we were discussing around here. Um, and Andy Fisher had mentioned that oh yeah, well, I came up with this force power, and I honestly can't remember if he'd done it. For another book, and it didn't pan out there, or if he'd done it for like uh, just like his own personal playing with the group he was running with, um, that was sort of the nucleus for all of this. That, sound, like, that oh. sounds like fish. So <laughs> we've got we've got this uh, we've got this force power that's all about cool ways of seeing. Um, for a book about seekers, um, let's see if we can make this work. Very nice. So um, the, in terms of like, because it definitely does feel a lot like um, for C. I kind of viewed it as, um, in a weird way, even though you're using the force, it's not really mystical in nature. It's almost just like your visual senses have been expanded. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like enhanced for your eyes. Um, so we, we basically sat down, okay, what are all the things you could do with, with cool vision um, other than just seeing the dark? That's kind of the, uh, the interesting way to, to go through. Um, so uh, that was kind of the big thing right there. 
Um, and then we get basically all the other ways you could do with, uh, with seeing, uh, seeing through things, seeing better, uh, seeing as if you were located away from where you're actually at, and so on. So it's, well, 4C is almost more of a mystical thing. Uh, we view this almost as, a, as uh, your eyes just getting better. And then, of course, the mastery level sort of jumps into that kind of mystical uh, ability sort That's of. A That's a really your- good dichotomy, yeah. So yeah, um, that's that's basically how we viewed it. And again, it it uh, it doesn't really nail in with any one part of being a seeker, other than just you know, hey, you, you can use your eyes a lot better. So it's just it was kind of a fun thing to put in as a new force ability. Well, the fans love it, um, and they have a lot of <laughs> questions about it. Um, so starting off, Darth Cuddles um, wanted to know: Can a mentor? reduce the cost of farsight to zero xp because this this is this is a cool power we actually talked about this power last episode because it came up with a listener question and noted the fact that it's one of the few powers that has a five xp entry cost so can can a mentor reduce the cost of farsight to zero xp and thus free with a successful lore check or should it be assumed to cost a minimum of five xp that is a really good question it feels really wrong to me to have it to be a free thing so I would say no. Uh, we did want it to make it inexpensive, but free is probably a little too inexpensive. Yeah. Right. And he said also regarding Farsight, he had been anticipating a connect with animals force power, like akin to what Ezra does on Rebels, figuring it to be a shoe-in for the book, giving its themes. Uh, he was surprised to find Farsight instead. What motivated you to choose Farsight for this book specifically? Um, well, sort of like what we said, uh, Andy had this really cool power that we thought would fit in, into the book. Um, there probably could have been a lot of things we could have done um, the animal, uh, animal bonding, like super animal bonding or whatever, definitely would have been a neat one. Um, it does sort of presuppose that you're into that, I guess. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah no, yeah, I see the point. It's, and well, this isn't saying we might not do that down the road too. Well, uh, and technically I think we already have a, a power that can do that. I, I mean, when you, when you, when you get into, um, when you, when you get into all the various powers, I'm, I'm yeah, uh, and it's God. What's what's the? It's not ah influence. I mean influence. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean I mean influence. Um, influence can technically literally my brain. I'm like mind trick, mind trick. What's the <laughs> um, uh, but I mean yeah, because influence can technically be used on animals. I mean when you get down to it. It's funny because yeah. you always see that power and you immediately think you're using it on like sentience. Yeah, you know? no, it doesn't. Like, yeah, no, good point. No, 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 no. So I mean, yeah, there's there's that. And Ezra clearly has tried and has now successfully used it on living beings. So absolutely, not so. living beings, uh, uh, intelligent beings. Intelligent so we know beings. he's got it. Well, yeah, yeah. God, how 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 cool is that new season looking? Oh, <laughs> golly! We didn't want we didn't want to clog up announcements. Normally, we'd spend twenty minutes, John, on that stuff at the start of the because there's been and maybe maybe if we get done quickly, and we have time for any post show, and you guys are willing yeah, to stick around. That sounds awesome. Let's zoom through this and talk about season three. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> moving right along. All right, um, moving right along. Uh, continuing in this power though, Darth Pseudonym and Jedi Ronin were also curious. They say. Uh, the Farsight power seems really hard to use in its basic form with only one Force die. It doesn't specify that activating it is a maneuver or anything, so presumably it's an action to activate, and then just lasts for the remainder of that turn. So unless you buy a duration upgrade and you roll a second light pip to activate it, you really can't do anything to take advantage of the sight you've just gained, like, say, making an attack or performing a skill check. Was that the intent, or was it meant to be a maneuver to activate rather than an action? No, it's uh, it's an action. Um... 
it's it's for us in our games and in playtesting, a lot of it was a more used in a narrative sense. Uh, so it's not like in the middle of the combat kind of a, kind of an action or kind mm-hmm. of an ability. Um, but uh, you can do things after using it. Uh, for one thing, you could yell to someone else what you just saw. Um, you yourself might not be able to do it. In that way, it's more of a utility power in combat. Mm. Um, you could also run away if what you saw was like not good. Um, that makes sense. Uh, so yes, no. I mean, it is. It's correct as is, um, and it is. Yeah, it's not necessarily something I can do and then shoot at what I just saw, perhaps. But maybe my friend can. Right. That's kind of like move. I mean, move is this great utility power, but when you first pick it up, even with one force point uh, in one force rating, you really can't do much effective in combat with it. But that's not the point of it by then. The point of it is, is you put practice into it, you get good, and you get to a point where you can use it in combat effectively. So that sort of design scheme kind of fits here, what you guys did with Farsight. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it could be used later on, once you, again, once you've gotten several upgrades uh, more effectively in combat. But early on, it may be just something as uh, you're, uh, you're going through a cavern trying to find an old temple, and rocks clambered up, and nobody brought any lights with them. So, boom. Yeah. There you go. So, Jaeger Grita asks, I wonder if you can explain exactly how the duration upgrade for the Farsight power is supposed to work. At the moment, it confuses me. The wording is in such a way it doesn't seem to work like other roll and commit duration upgrades for other Force powers. Um, yeah, it, isn't not, it doesn't uh, suck up one of your dice to keep it going. So, basically, you can just, if you, if you get the extra pips, and obviously that'll go up uh, the more dice you're rolling, um, you can run it for longer, longer, uh, longer rounds, longer time frame. Mm. Um, I kind of like it myself because I'm not, uh, I'm not using up dice to keep it going. Um, so it's not necessarily going to be, uh, I can't count on it lasting forever, I guess is probably the right thing to say. Um, but it may be a little easier to get going. Okay. Um, next up, uh, Blackbird888. Uh, wanted to know Farsight's control upgrade. Yeah. Uh, that grants more ranks and perception has conflicting descriptions on how it works in comparison to other powers. Is it a, is it a regular commit action? Is it a commit that can only be used after the basic power is used? Uh, does its effects end after the basic power ends, or does it remain in effect as long as the die remains committed? No, the the text below is a better better wording for it. I see where he's saying it. It's uh, it's conflicted. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's it's more of a standard commit. Okay. For that. For that, for the for the perception, uh, perception in, increase specifically. Okay, very cool. Um, woo, and we continue with more questions about this power. <laughs> um, Decorus had questions of plenty about the use of Farsight. He had several. Um, I'll ask them to you one at a time. Okay. Um, regarding the Farsight Mastery upgrade, that twenty XP one at the very bottom of the tree. Can you apply the other benefits to the mastery? Yes. Okay. Imagine, basically almost imagine your eyes have moved to another location. Okay. And, th- and this, may, this may answer uh, some of his other questions too. Because he, he's then like, after activating it, can you still see what's happening around you? Um, okay. I'll take that back actually. Yes, you, you can. You can. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with maybe, that. Maybe putting an extra pair of eyes in another location. Yeah. Or, or just maybe, maybe you've got like you're seeing uh, there's a drone somewhere else and you're viewing like a little drone uh, camera footage in front of you. 
And that that I think dovetails into his next question was, you know, are you are, are you like leaving your body helpless while it's active? And that, I, that movie has not come out yet. I think it's later this summer <laughs> uh, when Benedict will uh, put on the cape. <laughs> so the answer then would be no, no, um, neat idea, but no. Um, and then the the last the last few questions he had are really all kind of one giant question. Like so, with that sort of drone that you have out there of your eyes. Can you move this viewpoint around to follow people or explore the area? And what what's the sight range? I mean, can you can you upgrade the range of that viewpoint to see a larger area? What speed does it move at? Wow, um, I would I would say it's if it's going to um, if you're if you're following things around, you'd obviously have to have like a duration going of some sort uh, to keep it uh, keep it uh, going more than just a, a sort of a, a look, and that's it. Um, whether it moved or not, I would say it probably is going to be static. I, I think you'd almost have to do it again and pick another location to view from. Mm, that makes sense. And as far as range, I mean, I'm assuming it would probably have the range of your personal vision. Um, well, you are, I mean, you're, you've got a spot. Oh, I see which, I see what you mean. Well, the spot could be a fairly huge distance away. Right. So if you put it, uh, just straight up, you've got a huge field of view. Right, right. And to be honest, that was that was my first thought. Like, where would I want to put my eyes? I want to put them straight up so I can see everything around me. So I know if anybody's sneaking up on me. See, I hadn't even thought about that. That's a really that's a really good. Huck, let me ask you a judgment call. Then, use. Let's say a PC wants to use this power, and the objective is is they're looking, trying to look in in an imperial base. They want to see where the weakened defenses are. PC activates this power. And this is let's so say this is a pretty big base, you know, pretty big military sure. base. PC activates his power, uses it, drops his vision in the dead center of the space. What would you allow him to see? Um, he could pick one direction to see, uh, unless he was using the 360 uh, upgrade as well. Okay. Um, he could. Ooh, that's a good well, combo. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I would say he could. He could see. I mean, if he, if it's sort of like a, a castle-y kind of base, so he's like seeing yeah. like the interior. I would say he sees probably quite a lot. Now, what he makes of that, what he determines is the actual weak point. That might be other skill checks, though. Cool. So yeah, I mean, I, I can see. I mean, I look around this office. It's like okay, I see the air conditioning vents. I have no idea what that means. Like, where does that lead to? <laughs> Cold air comes out of it, but I don't know, you know, anything about air conditioning. Is that a good place to attack this office from? Um, I was watching uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane last night. I mean, is there going to be nasty stuff going through the vents or? Right. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, this gives you a lot of vision. What you do with that vision, though, is going to maybe rely on other people helping you out to interpret it or you getting other skills uh, so you can interpret what you see better yourself. So lastly, um, and it's good, good answers and good questions, of course. Um, lastly, Darth Lectus uh, has a house rule style question about the power. He says, hello, um, as I'm new to the forums, I want to start by post by thanking everyone involved in the creation of this amazing system. I was in love with it since I was introduced to it late last year. And I'm collecting the F- FAD line and the artwork alone is thought inspiring. So thank you truly, he says. Um, thank you back. Um, and, and seriously, just to interrupt real quick, thank you everyone for playing and, and you guys for putting on this podcast. I mean, you allow uh, people like me here to have really cool jobs. So thank you so, so much for, for playing and buying the books. 
Well, he says, finally, my question is related to the new power of Farsight. Um, I understand it's not directly designed that way, but would you think that with the control upgrades purchased, it would be a viable option to introduce the Kifars, that's Quinlan Voss's race, um, uh, ability of psychometry? That is an excellent question, and as much as I'd like to say yes, I'd have to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the design thought going into this was more of vision enhancement, not necessarily uh, like a... I, I touch this, and maybe I can see it really well, but I'm not going to get those kind of, hmm, I, I, I can feel on the ground, I know who's moved through here, I can get echoes of their, their presence from an hour ago, I can see you know, a, a tall, dark stranger wandering through the woods, or things like that, where they're going from here. Um, for me, psychometry just feels like, a, like something else. That's very cool, but not this. Well, it's like you hey, said, Chris. Yeah. Um, they haven't. I'm asking. You know, I want to ask you this question. I want. To, I kind of want to leave our guests out of this for a second. They haven't announced what force power is coming with the uh, the the Sentinels book, have they? The book that's dealing with investigations. No, they haven't. That kind of feels like a power that might fit that into that better if they have it coming up, huh? It's a good suggestion. I hope the devs take it into yeah. account. I really hope they've taken that into account. Yeah. Um, moving right along. Moving right along. Oh, were you guys talking? I didn't hear anything. No, nope. we're good. Nothing. We're all fine here now. No, we're all fine here. How are you? How are you? Yeah. How are you? <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. Good questions. Um, okay. Let's push forward. And Jason, bro, I'm looking right at you, dead square between your beady little eyes. Sort of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because let's get into. I mean, Phil, do you want to lead us into chapter two, man? I'd be happy to. This is this is one of my this is one of my favorite sections of these books. Uh, you give us all the delicious equipment and gear. Uh, new attachments abound, but also some really sick new lightsaber crystals. Um. So, uh, Jason, what is just so that we make sure that we 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 properly credit you? What did you work on, and what in this book, and specifically in this chapter? Uh, in this chapter, I'm pretty sure I did the entirety of chapter two. Awesome. I think. That's correct. Did I hug? You did, the whole thing. <laughs> okay, I did the entirety of because sometimes they split me up, and sometimes I do the entire chapter. Sweet. Um, and like I said, I wrote this book like 30 years ago. And <laughs> um, and I did, I guess I did the intro, which I completely forgot about. <laughs> uh, I will book say, intro. I will say that I'm I'm pleased to see the addition of more uh, trick arrows in here. I'm a, I'm a huge Green Arrow fan, going back to the days of the the Robin Hood hat and the and the Van Dyke. Arrow oh man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and you know what? You know what? Thank you for using the correct term for that facial hair. Yeah, it's a Van Dyke. Yeah. It's a Van Dyke. Yeah, you're a good man and thorough. Why? Thank you. Why? Thank you. Um, so I, I love that. I also dig the knights. The inclusion of the Night Sister energy bow. I think I now have some like massive power up item to give to my Ewok seeker um, as a, as an upgrade. Because as he uses the traditional weapon of his people and is greatly underwhelmed by its performance compared to heavy blaster rifles. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, this this the, the, all the stuff that's been added to this book are are perfect and and they fit. What the uh, what the theme of the book is perfectly. Um, getting onto some of the more specifically force powered stuff. Uh, so the Nishalorite stones are clearly the Seeker's crystal. Oh yeah. But what about the Varpaline? What was this intended to give the Executioner even more punch? Because uh, it's a pretty nasty piece of work. Yeah, I mean the the Varpaline crystals. The way I designed them, I was I was actually thinking about Vorpal swords. 
Yes. You know? And, oh, yeah. Right? They're, they're, designed, they're designed to take limbs off. Snicker snack, baby. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you know, when, when we get these assignments, you know, I get, I get like a full layout. This is what else is going to be in the book, and this is what you're going to be working on. And you need to tailor, you know, I really want you to tailor equipment to the different, you know, the different new specializations and stuff for the old specializations. So that's what I always have in the back of my mind when I'm, you know, outlining what gear and stuff I want to put in the book. Um, and yeah, when I read the executioner, I'm like, he needs a crystal that'll just take people's heads off. <laughs> that is that is designed to take people's heads off. So that's where the Varpaline crystal came from. I like it. And, and, and I hate to be that guy, but in my head, I've always pronounced it Nishalarite. Great. No, that that that's that's fine. Okay. That it's I I I'm a big pronunciation guy too. I'd like to know what the right way of saying things is. That's how Nishala I do it. Nishalarite. Well, actually, Jason, in the expanded know, universe guide, in page twenty-seven, I the, really try not to start. Well, actually, in appendix in appendix twelve B, it's oh clearly God. the H is silent, so oh, yeah. it's the Nishalarite. <laughs> I have Chris. never been able to do the lateral list, but I'm so jealous right now. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So yeah, that was the idea behind the Varpalian crystals is just, you know, I know lightsabers are, you know, in canon, the way you see them in like New Hope and stuff, they'll just, you know, they'll do whatever and they'll take, you know, whatever limbs you need off. But um, I really wanted something that an executioner could drop into, into their lightsaber specifically for that. And then the, you know, the little thing that I put in there where it makes that ringing crack sound, you know, it just sounds like a bell being struck every time, every time you use it. It's nice, man. I, yeah, so it draws attention. Oh, oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. You know, it's you know, someone just lost a limb. Then, yep. <laughs> Ding, arms are done. Um. All right. So going back to a little bit earlier in the chapter, uh, uh-huh. the weapon maintenance kit, page forty-nine. Oh yeah, I saw this question. New favorite toy of the technician. So great. Uh, Jedi Ronin has a question. Can a weapon maintenance kit be used for lightsabers? The no. Thing is. Oh, okay. Straight up, no. Straight up, no. Because, um, you know, every lightsaber is hand-built. No two are the same, right? And they're, like, uh, which Clone Wars cartoon is it? I can't remember if it's the Tartakovsky one or the the CGI one, where you see Barriss and um, her master making their, Barriss' lightsaber. Tartakovsky. It's the Tartakovsky one where they're yep. in they're in the the cave, yep. and Barris is making the lightsaber, and all she's doing is sitting there in the lotus position, and thinking about it, and the thing screws itself together from all these pieces that she scrounged up. Yep, you know her lightsaber is way different than Luke's lightsaber, which is way different than Ahsoka's lightsaber, which is way different than um, uh, Ezra's staple gun lightsaber, right? <laughs> which is my favorite lightsaber. Yep. Um, so nobody is going to make a kit to fix a lightsaber. Like, even okay. if they could, even if that was like, oh, Jedi are everywhere, Jedi aren't illegal, nobody's going to make that because, um, like, if I hand build, like, so, like, one of my hobbies is I build, like, I I collect and restore old motorcycles. Yeah. Um, if I built my own motorcycle, nobody would sell parts for it. Right? So why would anyone sell a weapon repair kit to fix one lightsaber. Yeah. Makes so, sense. So, no, you can't use a weapon uh, maintenance kit to fix a lightsaber. Very cool. That Very that cool. absolutely yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, Sorry, dude. Sorry, Ronan. <laughs> yeah. I, 
I don't know if it's a, necessarily a sorry thing because he went on to mention that the there's a lightsaber maintenance kit in Keeping the Peace that adds right, an automatic right. advantage. Yeah. Right, and I didn't um, work on Keeping the Peace, so. Right. I don't but, but, but yeah, for, for pretty much what Jason said, I mean, there's, there's incredibly good reasons why it, it shouldn't. Yeah. Right. No, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah, only you know how your, knows, only you knows how your lightsaber works. Yeah, and you've assembled your own repair kit. Yep. Yeah. Just yeah. to do that. Yep. Uh, next question comes to us from the Lonely Sand person. Uh, I have two totally nitpicky questions about weapons presented in the book. I have answers for these, too. Excellent. <laughs> Let's hope they match. These are easy. Uh, a Blastech M300 hunting blaster's weapons qualities were supposed to say stun setting instead of stun damage, correct? Correct. My, my bad. Yeah, that was a, that was a typo. Yeah. Uh, the Palandrix AO-14 Aranea Aranea net gun was previously printed in Enter the Unknown, where it had a maximum range of short. In it should have a maximum range of short. Very good. Well, I, I gotta say one thing I'm actually thinking about is, uh, maybe for the next printing, is actually making that a, a slightly different weapon, maybe like a Mark II. Could do that, yeah. Oh, so there you go. it actually would have the limited one, but a longer range. Yeah. The AO-15. Yeah, yeah, there you go. With something we're thinking about. And you know what Aranea means, right? Um, spider. Or Aranya. Yeah, it's spider in Spanish. Spidery. That's what I thought. Okay. So, I, I, had, I thought it had that arachnid. Uh, yep. Well, you, you wonder where they get the webbing from. It's from the spider on the later in the book. It's right? totally from that spider. And, and from the harch. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's a harch built weapon. There's a harch in the gun. There is a harch. Don't think too hard. Don't think too much about it. Yeah. Just go. Don't think too hard about it. When you, when you put weapon. the gun underneath your pillow at night. There's more spiderweb <laughs> shells. You know, it's a 40 millimeter grenade launcher that shoots spiderwebs. Don't think too hard about it. <laughs> uh, Blackbird888 also had that same question about the Blastech M300. Yeah. That it's supposed yeah. to be stun setting and not that's, stun damage. Yeah, that's me. Um, speaking of everything in this section, um, mm-hmm. do you guys have a favorite weapon or other piece of gear or other vehicle that was added to this book? Ooh, Tim. Um, I actually, I've, I, and for much for the same reason you gave, I love the, the compound bow and, uh, we did a bunch of new arrows. In fact, we did up, uh, and this sort of ties in, I think a question later on, uh, that generally comes up about what were the hardest decisions and just, I love arrow, uh, going back to like the arrow cave and, and all that other stuff and speedy. Um, so we're just coming up with clacky, clacky arrows. <laughs> And it's like, okay, how many can we fit physically onto the page? So, yeah, I love I love the bow and arrows. <laughs> there, there's one line that always stuck out to me was when Kevin Smith did the relaunch of Resurrection. Batman looking back at him and saying, did you have any original thoughts back then? <laughs> uh, 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 Jason? Um, I know this is like toot my own horn here. Um, but... Uh-huh. I, well, right. I love the Bloodhound, the survey vehicle. Yes. That was one of my favorite ones. And my favorite ship that I got to put in here is the Arc 40B. Yeah. Okay, let's I let's... love Clone Wars ship designs. Let's talk about this then. Because okay. you guys gave us some fantastic stuff in this book. And I saw the Arc 40B, and, and I'm right with you, man. I love the Arc 170. 
I was excited to see that you guys had finally put it in and decided to put in, start including that some Clone Wars ships into the X-Wing minis game. And I'm super psyched that the ARC-170 was the first one included. Yeah. Oh, I man. I love that boat. That boat I, sta- awesome. I statted the ARC-170 out all the way back for Edge of the Empire. Man. And took, and took it out because I couldn't fit it in. Yeah. <laughs> because I love Clone Wars ships. um the arc 40b um i don't remember if it actually had that designation but it was a lego kit it was a star wars lego kit yep and And awesomely cool and i i love star wars legos i have shelves of star wars legos they're the only legos my daughters can't play with (laughs) um they can play with the other thousands of legos that i have yeah Um, yeah. but yeah the arc 40B is a really cool Lego. Well, it doesn't have that designation. I think it's just called the Scout Fighter, the Jedi Scout Fighter or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, God, it's so cool looking. And I really wanted that in here because this is a book about scouts. You know? Well, it is. There you go. Don't we, don't we, don't we have a piece of art showing that in the book? We don't. We don't. Because, no, because I did an art description for it and I sent you guys a couple of, uh, a couple of angles of the... I mean, like, late, later in the book, not on the, not on the, the actual chapter. No, I don't think, I think so. so. I don't think so. Okay, well, maybe was, as we go through the rest of the book, maybe it'll pop up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those are, my, those are my two favorite things that I did in that chapter. Nice. Um, getting on to uh, some, of the, some of the tech that you gave us in the, in the vehicle chapter, uh, mm-hmm. the Swift 3 Repulsor Sled and its Magnetic Grapnel Launcher. Yes. Um, with the sidebar <laughs> on page 54. Okay, what led to the design and inclusion of the NGL? Because this thing is awesome. Uh, I mean, so the... If this, I, let me double check here. The Swift 3 is... Uh, this, was, this was the one that was originally like a... Like an... Uh, like a hanger tug. Yeah, it remind, honestly, it reminds me of those old German uh, ground transports that had, like, the motorcycle in the front and the yeah, yeah. half track. Yeah, okay, that's what this is. Yeah, I mean, th- that's why. It was built to haul, you know, ships around a, a flight line or around a fr- uh, hangar or something. And so you just attach the grapnel to the ship and tow it. But you know the Pandora's box that you've opened for players now. You're, you're aware oh, of this, right? I'm well aware. <laughs> why do you think it's in there? <laughs> I could have just mentioned it had something like that, or some of them were mounted with them, but I'm like, nah, I want to use this, so I'm going to let everybody else play with it. <laughs> that's why it's in there. Dunk. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's wonderful. I'm trying, did I actually, did I put the, I don't know if I put changeable, I was thinking about putting changeable heads on it, and I think I ran out of, uh, of, uh, of page, the uh, word count. Um, so basically, instead of the electromag, you could put a uh, like an adhesive, like a goopy adhesive one, <laughs> you know, or you could put like an actual like a grappling hook or stuff like that. Um, and I ran out of room for it. I do that like like I'll do, you know, Huck will be like, oh, you know, send me your outline and uh, I'll have whatever, 14,500 words to play with. And I send an outline that's good for like 380,000 words. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. be honest, though, Jason, when I wrote Armory stuff, it was the same way. I mean. Oh yeah. So for the original Dark Heresy, I had stuff I didn't wind up using until like years later. So, oh, oh yeah, yeah. got this other thing. Yeah, let's fit it in this book. I got a whole folder. I've been on this project yeah. since 2012. I got a whole folder of stuff. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I, and that's the way it is. You, I mean, and that's cool because generally Jason will give us like all these great things. It's like, 
okay, what can we trim away? What's going to literally fit on the pages? Yeah, sorry. So, and that, that's always <laughs> tough for almost everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, especially well, it's for like, like lots of items. Huck and I just worked on a project that neither of us are at liberty to talk about, and uh, I was I was talking to him online, and I'm like, man, I came in ten thousand words hot, and I had to cut all of it to get oh. you know to get in on my word count because it was just like as I'm writing, I'm adding more equipment. Oh, and I can do this, <laughs> and I can put this in there. Oh, and they need this, and and I'm like. It's like one o'clock in the morning, and this is due tomorrow. What am I doing? I'm over my. <laughs> you know. What have I done with my life? Yeah. What am I doing? Just cut but, all this and send it. <laughs> and and that's that's again that's always kind of cool because yeah we may get too much but you know that way we can pick like what are going to be the best things and maybe sure. these other things we'll put them aside. It's like eh, we'll hit those maybe in another book. Maybe they'll fit better in another book. Yeah. And that's happened too. I've seen ships that I wrote for one book show up in another book, which is always pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to thank you guys for getting so much Clone Wars tech into this book. Oh, man, I love it. You put in the V-19 torrent. Yep. You put in the uh, the ATRT. Yep. Um, I just thank you. I love yeah. I love <laughs> Clone Wars tech. And it makes so much sense that a lot of it is still available, still around, still yeah. kicking out in the galaxy, and in the hands of... Uh, shall we say questionable entities <laughs> or planetary governments that go rogue? Exactly. Yeah, they're sur- they're all surplus now. Well, it's just they've oh, yeah. yeah. It's it's the Army Navy surplus store stuff. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, because the um, you know the CGI um, Clone Wars cartoon, aside from the movies, is my favorite Star Wars media. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and I can't get an I I can't get enough of it. And <laughs> you know, my my uh, youngest daughter thinks I'm crazy because she watched me yell at the screen. <laughs> yell at my television um, at the end of uh, Ahsoka's character arc in the end of the fourth season uh, you know, with, with Kenobi and all them. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I was already like, uh, I kind of run cold on Jedi. They're not my favorite. I'm much more a space trucker kind of character sure. or a mechanic kind of character. And at the end of that arc, I just, I just stood up and I'm yelling at the screen, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, and I'm like, bring on order 66. Don't you do it, girl. Don't you do it. <laughs> and Natalia's sitting on the floor like, Daddy's mad. So, yeah, I love that cartoon. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I always try to I always try to fit a lot of Clone Wars stuff into these books because, like like Huck said, it's all surplus. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's stuff that these planetary governments, these backwater governments bought at auction. Yep. You know, and the Imperial Navy doesn't want any of this, and the Imperial Army doesn't want any of this, because it's all you know ship designs that are 30, 40 years old and don't sure. fit into the Tarkin Doctrine and don't fit into their order of battle. Right, right. they remind yeah. people of it, they're, and they're visual reminders of a different era. Exactly, but then when a couple of um, uh, the really awesome dual-bridged proto-Star Destroyers that have the blunt front end on them, um, they have, they, their class starts with an A. Um, they're big. They're like the big command star destroyers that the um, Galactic or the Republic Navy used. Um, oh man! They have the they have the launch bay that opens down the um, middle of the dorsal side. It's not the Venator. It is the Venator. I'm okay. sorry. Oh, it, it is, is the Venator. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. it does start with a. It is the Venator. Like, yeah, the Imperial Navy is not going to use those. But you know, when Morales 3's Space Navy shows up in on the field with three of them. Filled with V-19s, that's still a dangerous thing. <laughs> yeah, that's still yeah. a... Uh, wait. That's still, yeah. still going to black the eye of an Imperial Navy battle group. Yes. Yeah. You know? So that's what I love about the Clone Wars technology. Especially, especially using older stuff, the, the, like the newer uh, 
warriors may have totally forgotten they exist, how to fight against them. Yeah. Um, you know, their, their tactics are probably around the current line stuff. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, the Imperial Navy can certainly fight against a Venator, but like uh, the, um, the Confederacy ships, like the mm. really weird ships the Confederacy used, mm. nobody's going to know how to deal with those. <laughs> you know, especially the ones that have like flat cannons yeah. and, and big slug throwers on them. Yeah. yeah, those those um um, commerce guild destroyers, man. Yeah, they're the recusants. Awesome. Yeah, the rec- I'm oh, just gonna point my business end at you and blow holes in your star destroyer. Exactly, they're so awesome. <laughs> and, and that's what it lumps it up. They're just too awesome to like leave behind. So it's cool we get them in the books. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. Um, <clears throat> we have a chat question. Maybe our, our last oh. one for this chapter. Okay. Um, wanting to know what is the ship on page nine. Page nine. Page nine. Oh, yeah, that, that thing. Page nine. Page nine. Space Ooh, Armadillo. I don't, uh, I don't know. That, oh, wait a minute. I recognize that ship. That is actually an old piece of art we uh, we grabbed for this book. Uh, I like it. Yeah. Man, who would have made that? It's not a Corellian. That's not Corellian's design language. It looks almost, I mean, aside from the, it's, it's lacking bubble protuberances everywhere, but it looks almost Moncal. Mm, it, no, I mean, look at that front end. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. If, That's not a Moncal. It's got curved, but no, I, I honestly have no idea myself. I, I thought it was incredibly cool looking and definitely captured the idea of like someone landing for the first time on a planet. Yeah. Going out to explore it. That's a rad little ship. Like, who it looks, well, co- looks almost like the G19? Yeah, it looks Colicoid, yeah. G19. The, the Rigger. Oh, that, the, was a, that was a Corellian. That was a CEC ship? That was a CEC. It was like, hey, let's try this. Well, that failed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll be damned. It was Corellian Engineering. Um, yeah, I don't know what that ship is, but it's really awesome, and I wish I had statted it out. <laughs> Maybe Gathrock yeah. or something? I can, I can see it getting... It getting, could be a Well, yeah. Gathrock well, only had like three or four. They did, but I can see this getting under. treated like a Gathrock in the galaxy. It's like, I don't want to fly in a space turtle. I don't want to fly in a space armadillo. Yeah, <laughs> but the Space Turtle is one of the best ships out there. It the is. Moment. I'm totally. I'm it totally, really I'm is. But it failed horribly. In the... Oh, it did. I mean, <laughs> that's because it tried to do too much. No, I think it's because it looked like a giant freaking Space Turtle. And <laughs> it, was ugly. it was ugly. Well, it's like Hirsch Kessel ships. <laughs> yes. Hirsch Kessel ships are the worst because they're like tryhards. Yeah. You know? also rans. Hooli says it's from the Fragments from the Rim, the West End Games book. I don't recognize mm-hmm. it from there. What? Really? Of course, they had some. They, they, a lot of their art was like flat panel side views, anyway. So, oh yeah, could be, could be. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know, but it's really cool. That's a cool piece. I'll, Very I'll, cool. Yeah, that was the main reason I, I grabbed it and put in the book. I just thought it looked. It sort of captured the whole one person against the planet kind of feel. Yeah, totally. Well, guys, I bet a droid flies that shit. <laughs> um, I think we need to move on, and and and. Okay. Uh, uh, Dude, Jason, I know we have you on borrowed time tonight, man. Yeah, I, I have to bounce after chapter two. Uh, uh, well, sorry, guys. We'll sorry. miss you. Yes. Thanks for coming on, Jason. No, thanks for thanks for inviting me. It was thanks great. Thanks for all the great work you did on the book, too. Really no, thanks, man. That's yeah, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to our next project. Yes. It's awesome having you on, man. So thanks, man. Thanks a lot, fellas. Thanks, Jason. It was really good talking to you. Thanks for giving your time for us. It was a pleasure. Have a good night. Good night. You too. night. And there he goes. Dang. Yay. Well, all right, man. Shall we get on to chapter three, the final chapter, Deadly Quests? Deadly Quests. 
So, I mean, this chapter I mean, overall provides really great resources for seeker motivation and, and, and party inclusion um, for all the specializations in the career. But, but it really gets gritty with a few important things, um, starting with the survival in the wilderness section. And I've said it before, man. I mean, just wow. This was unexpected, but in retrospect, completely makes sense. Um, as much as we've seen chase scenes and social encounters fleshed out in previous source books, there's three whole pages here about new and exciting things to do with probably the most underused skill for most players, which is survival. Um, right. I mean, <laughs> dude, I mean, there's, there's these wonderful fleshed out locales for your players to tromp around in, all these narrative suggestions with a chart for spending advantage and triumph and threat and despair. Dude, can you talk to me about the design goals for this? What were you, what were you hoping for this and what were you trying to bring to the game? I, I, I really liked, I, this is one bit I wrote myself. I really liked it. Um, yeah, and pretty much you, you mentioned a few of them right there. Survival. I think that's, I mean, that was a key skill for this book. There wasn't a lot in the core book. Well, there was, there was enough obviously there, but I thought there could be so much more. Um, so, and obviously one of the, the, the key cool parts of the, the system is, you know, spending your narrative dice after you do it. So coming up with other neat things. And a lot of, I think pretty much a lot of the other books have had ways to spend those that are very thematic to exactly what you're doing here. Like I think it was um, Stay on Target had all those wonderful ones for like you're flying through asteroids. Here's some cool results. Well, this time it's uh, you're in the wilderness. You know, what can go right? What can go wrong? Um, but also just I, I really love the, just the, the little bit about um, using, using the survival skill in other ways. Hey, you can build a musical instrument. Uh, how cool is that to have? And what kind of cool things can that do for your character? Um, uh, you know, making camouflage kits. Oh, they're just not really huge things, but just kind of fun things that let your character have, you know, just something f- neat to do that you'll remember a few sessions later on, hopefully. You can get out your pan flute and maybe uh, play for the group at a, at a really low morale moment, those kinds of things. And, um, the, and the authorian's like, can I borrow that and try it? No! <laughs> uh, um. Well, do use as an offensive weapon, maybe. <laughs> Great, uh, thanks. Now I'm going to have a player that's going to insist on crafting a weapon to use <laughs> to enhance his bellow. Thank you. Um, but, but yeah, again, just coming up with all these cool settings and, and neat things that can happen in them. Because uh, I kind of view, uh, obviously, like the colonists and other characters will be doing a lot of uh, tromping through the wilderness. But I kind of, for me, a lot of the Force and Destiny characters, uh, you know, re- re- rediscovering their past, going through these ruined temples and almost archaeological stuff and, you know, going through the wilderness to find these places that were maybe something important to the Force thousands of years ago. Well, it's very fitting. Um, Also, as an aside, our wonderful uh, cadre of fans in chat has not let us down. Um, They actually found that ship on page nine. Oh, Um, It's called the Star Cab. Um, WEG, page 41 of Galaxy Guide 8 for scouts. Galaxy Guide 8 scouts. Perfect. Ironic. Ironic. It's not CDC. Um, Magic. uh, It's called the Orlean Star Explorer, or the Space Cab. Awesome. Um, very, yeah. very interesting. Um, I honestly don't remember exactly where. I mean, sometimes we'd have art that's just like uh, oh, it's a, maybe it didn't fit yeah, in one book, so we we'll use it in another. It's a, it's an awesome piece of art. It's yeah. just yeah. It's I there. think it's a I think it's a Matt Bradbury, but it's yeah, it's gorgeous. Okay, so back to chapter three, we have this whole new system, obviously for survival and using it in a more concrete manner, making it cause it really has been kind of the skill so far yeah. there hasn't mm. been like 
I mean, there's so much more you can do with it that you now give us the ability to do um, in a more concrete way. But, I mean, Phil, I, I mean, I know you and I got some pretty big jollies over the next set of system or system that was really included in this. Um, Animal companions? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this this was awesome and well timed too because um I've I've got someone who's got an annual animal companion in my in my current campaign. Um an unexpected gem included in this book and and let's be frank, it makes total sense. Uh but I don't think anyone expected this and it's <laughs> it's it's glorious, just glorious. Uh I mean this this is the second time we've seen some of these riding rules. Uh we got them yep. back with um with uh, stay on target. Right. Where we really unexpected them there. Uh, but the whole you've been g- given us stuff like um, you know, raising juvenile animals, um, how to use animal companions in the party, and turning them from these little, almost character quirks, or as has been joked in various in, in certain in a certain online comic, a a uh, a stat abil- a a game ability or a class ability that just is only remembered when you have it, and then it just disappears and you forget about it for the next few sessions. How to turn these animals into real NPCs with not necessarily motivations, but influences and and ways to use them in in the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, Jordan Goldfarb uh, did these up, and uh, I thought they were a lot of fun because, like you said, you generally don't remember your animal companion when you need them almost like a, you're drawing a weapon. Yeah. Uh, but here, they're something you got to worry about uh, and care for. I mean, it, you can't just sort of like. Oh, right, yeah, we got that uh, Nexu a few planets ago, didn't we? Um, let's get him out and have him do something here. No, I mean, the GM should hopefully be prompting the player, you know, hey, have you fed your pet recently or, like, cared for him? Or, you know, hey, there's, like, a major battle going on. Uh, probably your your animal companion is not too content right now. Maybe a little worried and, and howling a bit and looking at you with the uh, fangs open. So, yeah, I mean, it shouldn't all just be fun uh, when you have something like that, it, there's there's got to be some effort put into it as well. Yeah. Um, I got to say that beast, the beast writing rules are the epitome of elegance and simplicity <laughs> that we've come to expect from the system. Um, I love these rules. From I haven't noticed that there's much difference between this set and when they were in uh, Stay on Target. No, other than other than just like changing like the names of the game that it's in. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I changed much, if anything. Maybe like cleaned up a few things so it, like fit, you know, the layout we had to work with here. Sure. Um, but hey, like I said, it was pretty much perfect, and I, I honestly don't remember who wrote those. It might have been Andy himself for that book. But, I think uh, it may have been. I they were great. They were great, and we don't want to change it. I mean, it'd be confusing if we did change it. Sure. So it, it's sure. it's good, and it would cause confusion. So why change it? Um, yeah, no. So. Uh, and we basically needed it here as well, so it was in the Force and Destiny line. Right. Yeah. And putting it in. Yeah. So. So. I guess uh, really the only other thing to say is is it, when because you only you not only give us new beasts, but you also give us a lot of good solid animals that work perfectly at various stages of um uh, of a Force user's animal bond talent. Um, was that part of the real design goal that you really wanted to include a lot more options or at least a lot more examples that GMs could extrapolate to their own creatures that they introduced to the game on the ma- on the plethora of alien worlds that their adventures might be taking place on? Yes. Uh, 
uh, yeah, we wanted we wanted a wide range, especially I think uh, talking with Jordan, we wanted some you know, to put in some small creatures. Uh, we definitely wanted a good spread of ones that interacted with the force because that's what this game is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, and put in some of the, sort of the, uh, the really just cool creatures as well that we haven't done in Force and Destiny. Um, but yeah, hopefully some of these you might not use as is. Maybe it's like wow. So this bat thingy, that looks kind of cool, but what if it did this instead? Boom, boom, boom. I create a new creature. Great. And it fits in with this world I'm working in for the campaign. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, if we spark ideas, then, yeah, mission accomplished. Okay, I have to – I just noticed this. I don't know why. Because I, 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 it didn't come up in our discussion of artwork, but on page 69, <laughs> the angst, it just now occurred to me that that's a pack of baby Nexu. Yes. That was another- Oh, my God, it is. <laughs> That was another fun one. I remember where it was disturbing. Oh, it's adorable. Come on. Oh, those beautiful little balls of terror. And <laughs> <laughs> the, the angst is just like, oh, look at you. You're sharpening your claws on my face. <laughs> I'm going to grow up to be a vicious, savage monster. <laughs> <laughs> they're so cute when they're small, though. Come on. <laughs> Oh my god, I didn't I did not pick that up. <laughs> that is an awesome eye, Chris. Oh no, chat picked it up actually. Yeah. Oh, thank you, so, chat. That's that thank you. I and I think I think I mean this was just so much fun working with Zoe on. I mean, we've also got the little uh kitten, I think it was in the the species. Uh No, maybe it was oh, it was the hermit. That's what it was. Uh the hermit uh, specialization. It's got that little cute kitten in his hands. But, yeah, there was just a lot of cute, terrifying cute in the book. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like you said earlier, especially when, when talking about the those hermits' abilities, especially when it comes to, like, menace. You know, you get it as a pup. It certainly <laughs> doesn't have its silhouette size. But after, after you know, many sessions and some good RP, it's now, gosh, you now have a Nexu. <laughs> so, <laughs> hope um, you've been treating it well. I really hope you've been treating it well. <laughs> um, very interesting. Very interesting. And then, of course, at the end of this chapter, you know, capping off the book, we have the adventure seeds, the campaign ideas, the seeker rewards. I mean, kind of somewhat following the formula of the source books to this point. We we also find some very well-written encounter and campaign summaries um, to really uniquely use the content of this book. Um, yeah. I mean, do you have a favorite part of this section, and can you talk to us about it? Well, first off, this was sterling, uh, as you could probably oh, tell, course. because it's just wonderful. Um, I, I kind of liked, I think it was... Flipping through, I think it was the marooned yeah. uh, campaign oh, yeah. idea. Just, I mean, I liked it because it could sort of happen almost any time, especially when the PCs have not been really paying attention to like how many ration packs they might have aboard or anything like that when they're flying around. Um, but it gives a kind of light, like it could be a, a you can run it uh, as, as a short term, long term kind of thing. You could actually have them discover things as they go through. Um, I liked actually putting Gamorians in the book. Um, so yeah, for me that, that just had a lot of fun and I could definitely almost see, uh, the group trekking through, uh, the deserts or the mountains, um, the sort of montages they always do in movies as the characters, you know, slowly go from looking really nice and spiffy to looking drenched in sweat and they've like, you know, taken their shirts and put them over their heads to, uh, keep the sun out or the sun's out in this particular setting. So yeah, that's, that's me I, I really liked, but I thought Sterling did a wonderful job on all those. That's just fantastic stuff. And then, of course, with with Seeker Rewards, we got page 92. 
We got page 92, which is right <laughs> right there, which is reward enough itself um, for the book, quite frankly. So I'm, 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 I'm loving it. Well, guys, this, this is Savage Spirits. Um, obviously, the Seeker Source book, it's out. Um, we, as we normally do, highly recommend you pick it up. But uh, specifically for, I mean, the, the gem in this, especially for GMs that are looking to add something new to their games, and really players who are looking for a more interesting option and really want to get into some animal handling, I mean, this this is it. This is, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Dude, uh, uh, Huck, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this. I know we've been jawing for two and a half hours at this point. Oh, this was a lot of fun, and I hope everybody listening and and uh, following along has had a lot of fun as well. And if we didn't cover a question that you had, um, you can reach us via our forums, or you could post um, on the forums here. One way or another, I'm sure we'll get the question. Uh, we will try to get it addressed. If it's a problem, we'll get it fixed. Uh, and we hope you like the book. Thank you very much. Well, now it's time to bring an end to our show. Um, Phil, I know you've got an extended kitchen pass um, if you're able to hang out for a little bit. And I don't know if, Huck, I know it's getting late for you, but if you guys want to stick around for 15 minutes or so and jaw about stuff in post-show, yeah, we certainly at can. At this point, I think a broken curfew, so I'm good. <laughs> All right. Right on. Well, Gamer Nation, um, become a member of the Gamer Nation yourselves if you're not already, even if you're a listener. Visit us at uh, d20radio.com. Head to the forums, register, post your mind. Leave us a liner while you're at it. Email us, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmphil at d20radio.com. Tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. You can also phone us uh, questions um, to be answered on the show or liners at 262d20radio. Uh, that's 262-320-7234. And we actually got a calling question we just couldn't get to tonight because of tonight's unique episode topic. Right on. Um, but we'll be certainly be getting to it next week. And if I'm not mistaken, Phil, I do believe the the listeners have spoken on the uh, Order 66 Facebook page. And I think they're wanting us to go back to a specialization talk next week. Uh, um, I, well, I, then. I, I do believe for the entrepreneur, one of the entrepreneurial specs. Um, okay. Um, which is very interesting. We haven't really talked about the trader um, or the entrepreneur, so very eager to get to that. So that's what we should expect um, next show. Uh, so we hope you guys will all tune in for that. It's going to be in two weeks' time uh, on the 7th of August. i to figure out what the heck I'm going to do for that. That should be interesting. <laughs> I know, right? I stretch your brains. So it's there. But, guys, thank you all for tuning in. Um, again, give us a call. Leave us a liner. Head to uh, the Facebooks and uh, become a part of our online community. Thank you Big all for thanks listening. thanks to Tim and Jason for joining us today. Yes, uh, thank, thank you, you both. Thank you again for having us on. It was really a lot of fun. Looking forward to more of them. Amen. And with that, this is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And this is GM Phil. May the dice be with you. This podcast and related website are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, the Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox, or Fantasy Flight Games. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures, or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters, or other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including audio, visual, or textual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and the Gamer Nation LLC.
Post. <sighs> oh. <laughs> Seriously, Huck, thank you. Excellent discussion. Really appreciate your time, man. Uh, yeah, no, this was fun. Um, I mean, I've listened to the show, uh, especially with some of the other guys have been on. So this was this was great. I'm glad Jason was able to be on as well because uh, he did strong work in that uh, that gear section. Yeah. He oh did. yeah. Yeah, he did. Jason's a cool dude. Love talking to him. And That's it was fun for me because this is the first book I've done start to finish. I've done books, Star Wars books in the past, but they've always been either I had to hand them off to somebody before they ended or I picked it up from somebody else who couldn't finish it off and I just sort of finished the book for them. So for me, this is the first one I did like from Vision Document through Gold Master. Ooh. So, yeah. Well, you did a hell of a job, sir. Well, Very thanks, nice. thanks. I mean, it, it there's some rough edges to it, but uh, – but again, that's why we do a lot of internal like reviews, and we we sit down and go over like basically everything that's got a rule associated with it. We get together as a group and like, okay, let's go through this and make sure everybody's comfortable with it, and it jibes with how we did it in the past. Okay, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks again. Oh yeah, dude, this is good stuff. So, do you guys want to talk about season three of Rebels? <laughs> good lord, we had two huge conventions since our last show: Celebration Europe and SDCC. And say, yeah, all... San Diego's dropping stuff right and left. Dude. dude, yeah. Let's 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 start about let's start talking about season three first. Yeah, dude. dude trailer blew my mind. Yeah. The, I gotta say, personally, I mean, when they, it's like, okay, Rebels. It's like, eh, okay, sure. I mean, it's part of Star Wars and it's canonical. I will watch it. Um, I like, you know, I, I watch a lot of, like, afternoon cartoon stuff. Um, but it was more like, okay, it's part of the job. And then, wow, it got, I mean, it was a little rough at the start, but damn, it got good. And then the season two trailer was like, holy crap. Yeah. And then the season two and a half trailer and now yeah. this. It was like it was like Disney gave Filoni a season to prove himself before he before they could be like, okay, you can make Rebel Wars. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's just gotten more and more uh, wonderful. Really, I mean, I, I just finished. Uh, we're getting in uh, the Kanan novel, which I hadn't read. Um, so, given that, I think a new a new dawn is that the name of it? Yes, a new dawn. Yeah. yeah. Um, the com- the com- Have you read the comic book? I, I yes, up till April. I yeah, I, the wise yeah. Wiseman did it. So yeah, it's just nothing else. The dialogue is fantastic. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it's just been you know, really fun, and just all the characters. I mean, for me, it's like we're now in a dynamic Star Wars environment, where it used to be yeah. just like what you know, what EU stuff are they going to create? Oh well, who cares? I mean, it's it could be real or it can't be real. But now it's like everything's real. Dude, it's what a, are they going to bring back from the past that is real and how's it going to change? Dude, it's a it's an amazing time to be a Star Wars fan. Yeah, yeah, this is absolutely I mean and I'm I'm old enough so like what Jason was saying, I mean I saw Star Wars in the theaters uh, yep. about 30 times. Um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, now we're sort of back again where, you know, it's anything can happen and it's been so far very good. I was at Celebration Anaheim. And the crowd explosion when we heard D. Bradley Baker say, I'm Captain Rex, 501st Legion. Yeah. yeah. Must have been pale in comparison to when the camera zoomed in on that dude standing around artwork. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to assume anyone listening to the podcast has seen the trailer for season three at this point. So I don't mind spoilers. But. Uh, yeah. If you haven't seen it, spoilerific. Thrawn! Thrawn! Are you freaking kidding me? Thrawn! Oh my Thrawn. god! Yeah. Thrawn. I... But, but it's also exciting because we don't know 
what he's going to be like. Well, well you're I got kind of the big a, picture stuff. Yeah, I've but got a pretty good idea. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we, looks like looks like they're going to capture the essence of what Thrawn was the the yeah. absolute genius Grand Admiral who studied art and history of his opponents and uses it against them. Yep. Oh man, I I I am. So but, I mean, it's almost like he's been pulled from a different era put into this one. So it's kind of, of a, I mean, how is he going to work in this environment? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I just, it, 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 he is so much of the pre legends EU was junk and he, he was one of the few characters introduced in those novel in any of the novels. He was that, the first one introduced. Well, yeah, well, yes, but one of the, but, one of the few that I felt had any merit for the total Star Wars saga and fit and filled a niche that I hadn't seen before that I thought was just an utterly phenomenal character. Right. So paying respect to that and bringing him in as a part of canon official is staggering to me. Yeah. Like I said, it's just incredibly exciting. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's, it really is an exciting time to be in Star Wars. So what do you guys think about the, so I would say they're advancing the timeline a little bit. Um, I mean, yeah, they are. They've they've punched it up a little bit more. It looks like it's going to be a little bit longer than just a year closer. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Ezra's taller. He's got a new haircut, and he's got some more practice on lightsabers. I'll tell you that. Yeah, he's he's a lot more powerful, and Kanan has really settled into the Zatoichi thing, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, is this is this a good idea? I mean, are we are we glad glad to see the movement, or does this signal more of an end to the arc? Do you think we're getting close to a finale on this? We will again. Very exciting. Who knows? I mean, it, it's uh, I'm I'm really trusting them that they're they're doing they're, they're what's going on is so good that I'm trusting them with it. I'm not really worried so much about it. Yeah, there's still a lot of build up they need to do though. So, do you want to hear the craziest fan theory I read on the net? Sure. <laughs> you may know which one I'm talking about. Now that we see Ezra's abilities. And obviously, he's not around or available in any way, shape, or form when it comes to the original trilogy. Um, and obviously, Yoda's aware of his presence, so he knows he's out there. Um, there's a, but obviously, we know he's starting to get poisoned by the dark side. If at least, at least at the end, if the end of last season was any indication, right? Yep. And the freaking trailer for season three is any indication. indication. So there is a theory out there that he becomes Snoke. Wow. Huh. Okay, well. Huh. Would be, it would be an interesting tie-in between those two. Uh, I mean, between the, the movies and the show that way. That, I'll give it that. Huh. I, I don't think it's feasible just because of the fact that this is a Disney XD show. Uh, I, don't, I don't see it. I, I, I don't, don't think they're ever going to take their protagonist and give them a non-heroic ending. I also don't see... I also don't see J.J. Uh, Abrams having that connection with this cartoon. Because from what I understand, J.J. Abrams knows and came up with what Snoke's deal is. Mm, well, that nixes that theory then, because I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. Huh. It's, cu- it's, it's cute. It's cute. Hmm. I don't see it, but it's cute. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Well, any other thoughts about season three? When when is it when is it landing again? 
probably or very early October. Yeah, that okay. seems to be it. when when these they they'll if they do it like they did it last year, they'll have the season they'll they'll preview the first hour or whatever it is at New York Comic Con, which is the mm-hmm. very first weekend in October, and then they'll start the season showing it broadcast it uh, a week or two later. Yeah. So early October is likely. Okay, yeah. so other gems then coming out of um, out of celebration. Uh, what did you guys think about the lack of a proper trailer release, and then the sort of making of featurette release for Rogue One? Uh, reminds me of the making of featurette release that they did for Force Awakens around about the kind of the same time. Totally, but everyone was expecting a trailer to drop. There were all these things saying they were going to drop a trailer online. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, speculation like crazy. I, I didn't mind it. Um, yeah. I mean, it may, it may just be there's so much. I mean, San Diego drops so many trailers or so many other things that I would actually be okay with them if they dropped it, you know, like a week or two from now. Yeah. If they I did mean, it all. I mean, I, I, at this point, I almost want to watch anything else because I want to be so much more surprised when I see it on the screen. Yeah. They, they they got me at this point. I'm sold. You know, I, I don't need an I don't need anything else. The, I'm right. incredibly excited for for this. I think it. Uh, you, you talk about something you don't know anything about what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, there's that, and what we, we arguably know how it's going to end. They end with getting someone. Someone gets the the the, the well, data tapes to to Leia. Well, that's how it ends. Let me let me throw you something wacky. Maybe there's like like rogues one through twenty or something. <laughs> and some another group manages to do it, and they they find out it like as they're all dying at the end. Oh, we got it covered. Thanks, anyways. I mean, talk about aw- awfully dark ending, but <laughs> so there. If you if you watch the featurette, which I, listen, I've been excited about Rogue One since the beginning, but that watching the featurette got me completely one hundred percent on board. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a lot of close ups of them on the, the what I'm calling the Normandy Beach scene with the with the yeah. with the Adats. <laughs> um, with, with palm trees in it. With, with palm which is like watching stormtroopers walk through tropical waters yeah. is yeah. something I have never seen well, in any of the material produced. And I think that's brilliant. They're showing me something I've never seen even in, in the vast experiences of our gaming histories, guys. Or, or even imagined it. Yeah. I mean, it's not something I've even thought of. Yeah, exactly what I'm saying. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it's staggering. So that, oh. but if you, it, it, this is, okay. If you, if you freeze the frames and you really look at them, <laughs> there's, um, when, when our, our protagonist is, is, is running through the sand, she's got a blaster in one hand and in the other is holding what looks like a hard drive. Yep. So, da wink, wink, da nudge, nudge. Um, so there's that. The other thing that absolutely sold it for me was Warwick Davis. Um, clearly, as the tiny alien canine thing at the giant gun, you know, going and going, ha! The door gunner. <laughs> the door gunner. I was just like, yes! <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've totally flipped out over that. Yeah. You yeah. can't get rid of me. I'm a bad penny. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think this is going to be a lot of fun, and just they've got a fantastic cast too. They really and, do. And as you mentioned, uh, or as as can be inferred by some of your comments earlier in this episode, um, this is right in your wheelhouse, Tim. Oh, in terms of in terms uh, of like movies, themes, oh. and, and stylizations, and eras. Yeah, and- yeah. I'm. I'm. That's a kind of the cool thing. I mean, 
uh, I'm sure we'll get just lots of cool ideas out of this, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be yeah, but it, and it, uh, it 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 already. I mean, it's it's hitting on really cool tropes. You know, you get the the group together, and they they probably won't like each other when they start off, but they got to rely on each other, and there's going to be conflict and internally, they're not friends at all. And but they got a mission to do, even though some of them don't even want to go on the mission. So, yeah, well, my dad's it's all hitting it's hitting a lot of really good points for me off the bat. Yeah. My dad's all over this because he's like, "Oh, it's like Star Wars Dirty Dozen. I love this." Yeah, yeah. Oh, if only we had Lee Marvin in this. Oh. <laughs> no, ah, <laughs> it could be could be absolutely epic. So, okay, coming out of San Diego Comic Con, dude. God, where do we start? I'm yeah, like, uh, okay, listen, I still have not watched. I may have to now. Batman v Superman. I was not interested. I would, oh, I just, I would watch it. I, and and I mean, it's it's. I think it's worth watching. I mean, there's a lot of reactions, pro and con. Um, I would still watch it if nothing else. So, like Justice League will make more sense. Okay, well that's the thing. After watching the trailer for Justice League, I'm like, oh crap! Now I need to watch Batman v Superman because oh. this looks like a really good movie. And you caught Wonder Woman as well, right? Well, the nice thing is, as good as the as as, ni- as nifty as the Justice League trailer behind the scenes, whatever f- test yeah. footage look it was. Um, I don't care. Wonder Woman looks like something I will drag my entire family oh, to go see. Yeah, multiple times. The multiple way they got the lasso, the lasso finally looked right. Oh my god, and that looked. I'm awesome. afraid to think how much like CPU it took to to animate that or, or gold it or glow it, whatever. But wow, it looked fantastic. But I, I, um, the reason I think I may have to watch Batman v Superman is, and some friends have told me, like, look, there's all these problems with the film, but what everyone was afraid was going to be the worst problem with Batman v Superman was Ben Affleck as Batman. Oh, yeah. But it turned out that he was the best part of the movie. Right. I um, thought he was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, every, like all my friends who I, I really respect in these issues, like, no, no, listen, I mean, everything else sucked, but he, he, he was, he's a really good Batman. God, I'm and, trying to, for, I'm forgetting the name of the guy who played Alfred, but he nailed it as well. Oh, Jeremy, Jeremy Irons. Irons. Yes. Yes. Who's fantastic actor too. So I may have to watch it for that. And, 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 and again, uh, the actress who played Wonder Woman was probably the best one in Gal, the film. Gal Gadot. It was great. Yeah. Every single moment with her in it was fantastic. Oh. And listen, I know it's, <clears throat> I know it's 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 they're they're boring a lot from from quite frankly the first Captain America film here, but I love the fact that they're going to release a solo film and it's going to be an origin story that takes place before Batman v Superman and obviously yeah. you know I before Justice League. Yeah. Um, so Which, I mean, I like how that ties in with you know, the character. I mean, she was very tied in with I guess World War One, but also World War Two. Yeah. So, and obviously this is going to be in the World War One time frame. But uh, yeah, yeah. Which again, that's kind of cool. I mean, it's it's. I'm a sucker for uh, that era as well. I mean, there's all. I mean, the thing. If, I'm wondering if they didn't pick World War II because Captain America already did that. I think that's why. Which, if it is, great decision. I mean, because yeah. you get the World War One flying ace kind of guy with Chris Pike flying around. Yeah. So Good choice, yeah, but yeah, all of the. I mean, God, the, the trailers and all the Marvel ones uh, look great as well. Uh, and then, of course, the exciting news about Captain Marvel, which uh, talk about yep. perfect casting, dude. Yeah. What? What else? What else has she been in? She just she, uh, uh, she Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. Um, okay. But uh, uh, but she just won an Oscar for yeah. um, uh, for uh, the door. Oh, she was uh, what was that uh, Amy Schumer movie? She was a sister in that. Yeah, Trainwreck. Yeah, Trainwreck. Wow. Uh, I'm sure somebody out there with IMDb is all over this, but yeah, she's just been fantastic. But 
Yeah, I, I I actually hope they get her to sing somehow in Captain Marvel because I thought she was great in Scott Pilgrim doing that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, it's 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 she's she's awesome. Um, but you need like I mean at this point we have an Academy Award winner that's going to play you know Carol Danvers, and I'm like yeah oh, okay. And and it it looks like good cat. I mean it, it, she's she feels like she can inhabit the character well. Yeah, I agree. Very exciting. And yeah, the I'll new Doctor Strange the- trailer, Star Trek. Have you guys seen it yet? The Star Trek Discovery trailer? Oh, oh yeah, that was cool too. Uh, wow, talk about talk about going back to the uh, that was Macquarie sketches, right? Phase two, Star yeah, Alpha yeah, and Star Trek Phase two. It was fun. It was fun because I was watching. I was thinking that wow, it feels like. And then reading like uh, I think I saw it on Io Nine, and then like you could tell the hardcore nerds were like all over. But oh, I know what that was really based on. <laughs> Yes. Well, do we do we know anything about the series yet? I mean, is it is it taking place in the new continuity or no? I think it's, it's yeah, it's the prime continuity, what they're calling it. Really, prime continuity, and I thought, I thought it was going to be post the original series, but someone but, else was complaining online that it was that it's going to take uh, that it's going to take place in pre the new the original series. Well, I'll get really nerdy because the ship designation is 1031, which oh, if you shoot, do it American, right. it would be post-Enterprise but pre-Classic Trek. Yeah. And then someone else I saw, which is like, okay, this feels interesting, Section 31 from uh, Dar- uh, Deep Space Nine. Sort of like the, the yep. dirty, G- dirty Deeds part of Starfleet. Maybe this ship is – because it very feels kind of Klingon-y. Uh, maybe it's like Section Thirty One starship. Well, dude, and dude, and the music. Did you? Oh, yeah, that was very Klingon. The music was very Klingon, and there's been rumors that this is going to be a Worf show. Well, that would be that would be wild, like a Klingon commander kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm I'm sorry if if you gave if you gave me a show with Worf as the main character and the protagonist, I would watch the hell out of that. Yeah, I'm 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 just totally. I mean, I'm actually I'm actually really excited. Uh, Again, it's a cool time for Star Wars, but also Star Trek too. Uh, 50th you know, the anniversary show coming 50th anniversary yeah 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 so very exciting there um and then dr strange obviously strange yeah um, that looked that actually, it the new trailer great. there looked really cool i love you, you caught the very ending of it right with the uh the password yes <laughs> yes I, I broke up because i was like oh i know that word oh it's her wife <laughs> we're not uncivilized we're not savages <laughs> yes <laughs> And of course, he nails the line too. Yes. Now, okay. Now, the other thing, the other trailer that dropped in a completely different vein, and I, 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 I'm hit and miss with him, but Guy Ritchie's uh, uh, King Arthur, um, a Legend yes. of the Sword. I mean, I didn't catch that one, but I may have to. Well, dude, it, it starts off, and you're like, oh, this is like a medieval movie, but the way the cinematography is done, and the the, the cuts and skips, and the soundtrack, and the tone and feel, because I I never I didn't even heard of this movie, and I'm like, I was like, I was like, dude, oh. this looks like a Guy Ritchie flick, and then it starts off, and you realize it's it's a King Arthur story, and then I'm like, dude, this looks amazing, and then it comes up, and it's like directed by Guy Ritchie. I'm like, what? <laughs> Speaking Guy Ritchie with Jude Law as I think Merlin. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of totally unexpected, did you catch the Blair Witch sequel trailer? I haven't watched what? the trailer, but I saw yeah, it. Yeah, no, this there. is something I guess it was just marketed as this this horror film called The Woods. It's like, oh okay, whatever. No, it's it's like seventeen years or whatever later. Uh it's like the brother of one of the characters from the original film is like going out to find her. Um and the trailer looks really good. And I was a huge fan of the original Blair Witch. 
But this looks really like a really good horror film. I, I love horror movies. Wow. Yeah, uh, I think it's just called Blair Witch. And huh. uh, it looks really good. And, and they're taking advantage. Like now, modern film technology, you've got drones. You've got all this other wacky stuff. You've got GoPros uh, that to do all the footage for. That's right. That's very interesting. I'll watch it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge horror nut, so I'm a. I'm okay, a, well then, in that case, have you been watching Stranger Things? No, I do. I've not. No, I sadly, I do not have Netflix. Uh, so I, I will watch it for nothing but fantastic stuff about it. I'm look, very. Uh, look, you can get a thirty. You can get a thirty day free trial of Netflix yeah, and cancel no, it. God, the thing is, I mean, I just. There's no time to watch all the TV you want to watch. Make, make time for Stranger Things. I know. I'm going to definitely catch the DVD set. That's how I watch most of the Netflix stuff. I have not watched television this good. I mean, it's only eight episodes. Yeah. No, that's the thing. I do like, well, HBO's got The Night Of. Uh, Again, just eight episodes and done. And that's really good as well. I'm telling you, it's like it's every it, it's like it's like every Stephen King book and movie that we read and watched growing up, yep. mixed with every Steven Spielberg film that we grew <laughs> up with. It's just it's epic. The performances yeah, I've, are. I've heard incredible. nothing but great stuff. The people at the office are buzzing about it like crazy. Oh my god! But, I mean, yeah, amazing. there's just so much good. T- I mean, there's just so much TV. Period. But there's just so much good TV going on. Um, that is, is scary trying to keep up with it all, dude. I, uh, I'm yeah, but I, I do like how they're doing like bite sized stuff. You know, we're not going to do, you know, something you got to spend like you know three weeks watching if you want to get through it. Eight episodes, you can conquer that in a week, no worries. Yeah, I mean, my wife and I've been tackling an episode a night, sometimes two a night, and my wife hates scary movies. She hates them. She can't stand it. And we watched we watched one episode, and she was freaking out. I can't believe you're making me watch this. But then the story gets so good. And then when it's over, I'm like, well, all right, well, you tried it. At least you tried it. She goes, yeah, and I hate you. I'm like, why? Because I have to watch the rest of it now. <laughs> I'm like, ah. But, oh, yeah, it's just it's just great. It's just. Cool. Well, just yeah, no, like I said, everybody in the office has been talking about it uh, who, get, who does Netflix. And, yeah, I will definitely catch it. Um, like I say, I'll probably hit the DVD set to be honest though, but yeah, it does look really good. Yeah. It's, but yeah, and the sad thing is this is the calm time of TV. I mean, the, the new show, the new seasons haven't started yet and it's still busy. Yeah. And, uh, this, this is, is normally the time. You. Yeah. This is normally time where I'll, you know, I'll pick up some DVD sets of seasons I might've missed and catch up on them. Um, but yeah, and very soon, I mean, we, we got the new flash, uh, tra- a season trailer. We got the new Arrow season trailer. Legends of Tomorrow. All right. So Phil, um, Phil, I know you're a huge Flash and Arrow guy. I mean, what are your oh, yeah. what are your thoughts on? First of all, what's your th- thoughts on Flashpoint? Oh my God, Barry, <laughs> Barry, 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 what have you done? You were talking about yelling at the TV. I felt like doing that at the end of the last season. Spoilers, everybody. Bear. this this is gonna be great and i i I think it's a very refreshing way to keep the show fresh um i felt like they kind of jumped the shark with earth 2 i would actually i actually liked the way they did earth 2 where it was still modern time but it felt retro yeah the 40s had lived through to now it had that it had that 40s and 50s aesthetic yeah yeah. echo kind of feel to it there are parts of it i enjoy but at the same time it's like 
it's like it's almost like okay wow another person from our world that's radically <laughs> different let's show them how okay oh caitlin's killer frost well that's incredible um but but no i enjoyed it don't get me wrong i enjoyed it um it, it's just it was it was i think they're actively trying to avoid the problem they've had with the later seasons of arrow where it's like it's like okay <laughs> this is getting boring (laughs) it's like what what new stories can we really tell with these characters what i mean you know my god can they just get together already or not or i mean i I mean i don't know because phil i mean you are you caught up on the arrow at all did you yeah okay i mean i I didn't care for the last season at no me neither um i I like the guy playing uh uh the big bad he was wonderful he was also in uh Neil Neil Stevenson is that who it was? Oh, I can't remember. I don't his name. know. The but he was, he also was in um, Captain America and Agent Carter. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was. One of the uh, Dumb, Howling Duggan. Commandos. Yeah, he was. He was Dumb Dumb Duggan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was. I thought he was a great bad guy. He's a, he's a, he's a great bad guy. But I don't know. Things just got really weird, and I I want the, I don't know. Phil, what? what? Up, the only thing about season four of Arrow that I really enjoyed is the fact that he finally started calling himself the Green Arrow. Yeah. yeah. Other than that. I was very mostly on the miss side of hit or miss with the whole season. It was interesting trying to figure out who was, who was going to die. Yeah. I thought that was kind of, okay, that was an interesting way to set up the season. You know this is happening. Uh, how is it going to get there? Yeah. Someone's dead. Oh, who is speak, it? Um, spoilers again, everybody. Uh, so this is kind of a weird thing because several shows I follow – you you hear about like what characters like the real actors and actresses are getting like signed up to other things. It's like, oh well, that character's going to go. I don't know if you all watched the one hundred. It was a it was a big thing there. Um, and if you haven't, great show. Okay. Uh, but the actress who played Black uh, Black Canary mm-hmm. has been signed up to one of these uh, multi show regulars like yeah. John uh, Barrowman, who's <laughs> going to be on all the DC shows and basically signed up as a regular across the board. Hmm. Yeah, so that'll be. See, and this yeah. is this is the thing. I thought I was when, when season when season four ended. I was like, okay, they're getting rid of all the extraneous characters that are making this difficult to follow. Okay, it's yeah. uh, let's just let's just cut it down and get it back down to a core few people that we can really start following, get intrigued again. And then I start introducing all these new characters, <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, really? I think Ghost Rider's going to be in uh, yes. Shield that that was released. <laughs> I'm like, how the hell is that going to work? Okay, it's like same oh, thing. Did you hear who's going to be on Arrow? Hmm. Uh, Ragman. Really? Huh? Yeah. Talk about another wacky urban adventure type. Okay. Huh. But it's like, it's the same problem with Agent of, Sh- Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm like, okay, finally, you're killing off all these extraneous characters and getting them out of the show. I mean, I mean, like mid-season, they got rid of Hunter and Bobby. Um, you know, I was like, okay, thank yeah. thank God. Okay, finally, your guys are gone. And then, oh, finally, the, the boyfriend I hate is dead along with War. <laughs> Great. Um, you know, Mopey, Mopey McMopenstein Electric Pants is dead. <laughs> and, and okay, and now and now you're bringing on, uh, like, really? Ghost Rider? Really? Is that going to, okay. Well, is he, is he for a regular or just, like, going to show up? Probably going to show up, I imagine. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I mean, I, it's a Marvel show. I think that was a, kind of my problem with the first season. I wanted more Marvel. You know, they were doing a kind of a cool spy versus spy thing, but if it's a Marvel show, I want to see some people out of the comic book showing up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Your mileage may vary. Hmm. Now, again, it's, it's a really great time to be into all this stuff. 
It's a great time to be alive, and every time I'm saddened by the events that happen around me in the world, I just think about the fact that it's still a great time to be alive. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm. Oh, with that, guys, I think it's it's awfully late. I think we got to call it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, Gamer Nation, thank you all for tuning in. Huck, yes, thank you, everybody. Huck, thank you again, and it's a blast. Gamer Nation, good night. And night, everybody. Good luck.